Hey everybody, right before the show, wanted to let you know we have an update to our Patreon. A brand new monthly movie podcast is available now for $10 and up patrons at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. You want to hear me and Bob talk all about Mask of the Phantasm? The best Batman movie of all time? You can hear all about that in our long, almost three hours long podcast, patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody, welcome to Talking Simpsons, where we feel like God does when he's holding a gun. I'm your host, coin-operated Bible salesman Bob Mackey. This is our chronological exploration of The Simpsons. Who else is here with me today? Henry Gilbert, and it's pronounced fudge-sickle. <laughs> and who do we have on the line? I'll do it. I'll rob the Quickie Mart. I'm Will Sloan. Excellent. <laughs> and today's episode is The Cartridge Family. A gun is not a weapon, Marge. It's a tool. Like a butcher knife or a harpoon or uh, uh, an alligator. Today's episode aired on November 2nd, 1997. And as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this mythical day in real world history. (gasps) Oh my God! Oh boy, Bobby. Steve Coogan's brilliant I'm Alan Partridge debuts in the UK. Hmm. A live performance of the classic Cinderella musical gets ABC's highest ratings in seven years, and Titanic has its first showing in Tokyo ahead of a wide release that many think will be a gigantic flop and one of the biggest failures in film history. There was a sneak preview in Tokyo first? That's where the film premiere was in Tokyo. Wow. That was the first public, well, not public, but uh, the first showing of the film outside the I had no idea. It was huge in Japan, too. I recall being a um, media-obsessed nerd, hearing about Titanic beforehand and thinking like oh man james cameron is my favorite director and he's gonna have a big failure this is gonna be so sad we're all saying that about the avatar sequels but they're gonna be huge hits i swear yeah probably so (laughs) i used to read entertainment weekly when i was a kid uh so you know i was like a precocious little industry insider so i used (laughs) to say that too i was eight years old at the time uh so i you know i had been conditioned all year from sort of reading entertainment weekly to the extent that i could read it to know this would be a a titanic folly as i believe it was described in entertainment (laughs) weekly but yes titanic very important film in my life in your in the lives of anybody who lived through 1997 i think the first time i saw nudity in a movie oh wow Mm. I, I hate to start the episode on such a close <laughs> note. <laughs> I, I mean, when you write a movie called Titanic or make a movie called Titanic, you're setting yourself up some, for some uh, too clever headlines in the press. Yes. It was so ready to be like, well, it's the next Waterworld. It's just like Waterworld. Yeah. All these boats and water. Just and look shit. at all the water. <laughs> and it, t- it takes place in the world, so you're yeah. halfway there. But it was an insane phenomenon. I think I remember seeing it in a theater. Like I didn't see it until it was like two months old and it was still selling out like every showing in my area. It was that big. I couldn't believe it. I've still never seen it. Really? Yes. I was too cool. And now I'm too old and there's not enough time left in my life for a three hour movie. That's why I don't see those Marvel movies. You've probably internalized so much of it just via cultural osmosis. Oh, yeah. You probably know all the famous parts and the Celine Dion song and everything you need to know. I think I've seen uh, 75% of the movie through parody alone. 
<laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm Alan Partridge. It's a very funny show if folks haven't oh, yeah. seen it. I was wrong to sell all my Steve Coogan stock 10 years ago and invest <laughs> in Ricky Gervais. Uh, we all made that mistake. <laughs> we all did. You know, there is a there's a bad trope right now of especially UK and or BBC comedy writers of the 90s becoming um horrible. <laughs> and I haven't yet seen it with Steve Coogan, but I guess I'm not watching him that closely, but I am I I hope that never happens. I think Steve Coogan has socialist leanings, doesn't he? I believe he, he campaigned for Corbin. Corbin. He's a Corbinite. Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. That's a good yeah, sign. Yeah, there you go. I mean, uh, it, it, it's amazing that anybody of his wealth and with that media ecosystem that they have over in the UK could be a Jeremy Corbyn supporter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just saw him in Stan and Ollie, and I thought he was really good. Oh, that's right. He's in that. Yeah, I got to check that out. I mean, And he's been playing Alan Partridge for like over 20 years now. You talk about your vase. When I see him as David Brent now, I'm like, get this fucking clown costume <laughs> off, loser. But when I see him do Alan Partridge, it feels like there is a reason he's doing it, and it comes it's for a point it's not just for new laughs about being alan partridge yeah i mean it's just one of the great characters and every time alan partridge comes back it is like it's like a new stage in his life story and it's a new he's in a new place in the media so you know he kind of grows along with the culture uh, in a way that I don't think David Brent has. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, and I also think, too, Steve Coogan keeps working with uh, his original co-writers on the character as opposed to Ricky Gervais just making it the Ricky Gervais show. Yeah. So our guest, Will Sloan, if yes. you guys didn't hear him on our Sherry Bobbins episode. Will, what's what's your background with The Simpsons? Oh, you know, it's the same background as I think any kid who grew up in the 90s loved it. Um, it was on TV perpetually, so I watched watched it every day, you know, anywhere from two to four times a day. Those first nine seasons, I've probably seen every episode. I think I've seen more episodes of The Simpsons more times than I've seen any other show. Mm. And I'm sure that's the case with like everybody listening to this podcast as well. So I'm not special in any, (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah, like I think for people of our generation, The Simpsons is this shared language. I'm not sure what it's like for people younger than me, to be honest. <laughs> what what do they have to to bond over? I think they have SpongeBob. I memes. think it's SpongeBob. Yeah. yeah. No, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is a very political episode of The Simpsons, and you will have a, a, a fantastic political podcast, Michael and Us. Yes, we are members of the Michael and Us Nation. Yes. Uh, oh, thanks very much. Yeah, Michael and Us is a podcast that I co-host with my friend Luke Savage, who's a Jacobin writer. It's it started. Uh, it's kind of a complex thing to explain, but it started where we were like, what if we watched every Michael Moore movie again to see how it holds up? And as it turns out, most of them didn't hold up. And we started it during the 2016 election. And from that point on, it turned into a political cinema slash television slash culture podcast, typically taking some forgotten or neglected cultural artifact that is political and comparing it to the current moment. Uh, I hope that's a good pitch. Yeah. yeah. I really liked your recent episode about the movie PCU because that movie's maybe 25 years old. I was thinking we're still having these oh, stupid, God. these same stupid jokes. I haven't listened to that one yet because I've been afraid of like, oh God, I hate <laughs> Jeremy Piven would steer us wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if your listeners are unfamiliar with PCU, it is a comedy about campus political correctness that's Ugh. from the 90s. It's a whole other world of the campus PC debate. But it's also, yeah, all the same talking points. And I mean, what's weird about PCU is 
I think it was mostly made by liberals or liberal leaning people. So it's interesting how the same arguments just they get resurrected in different guises mm-hmm. uh, every yeah. 10 years or so. Well, the, I mean, the people who were young when they made PCU, then they grew up and then their kids went to college and then they have to write, say, an episode of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt about how annoying college kids are and how they don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Well, I, one of, you know, one of my, favorites i just re-listened to ahead of this was the bowling for columbine one you guys did which was from 2016 which honestly does feel like 800 years ago but, um, 800 massacres ago did that you know the, the podcast i mean we've kind of built it into this like uh side business that we make money on now but when we recorded that bowling for columbine episode it was such a larky thing and we were just kind of hanging out laughing about bowling for columbine and we were all sort of shocked about i mean not only does it not hold up but it's a genuinely incoherent film like (laughs) you know we all think remember bowling for columbine as being a movie that is for gun control but it's not actually even for gun control it's like uh, it's constantly contradicting itself. It doesn't really come out with any prescription for the problem. Really, it just kind of lays all the blame at Charlton Heston's feet, <laughs> personally. Um, so we were very shocked at, by that, and you know, we we saw that movie. We were like, oh, geez, well, maybe this is maybe this is why like liberalism constantly failed in the two thousands. <laughs> you know, it didn't have any coherent arguments. No wonder George W. Bush was able to just steamroll this. But yeah, we recorded that episode in early. 2016 and we really didn't know what was coming but before we get into gun control we have an even more polarizing topic to talk about (laughs) and that is mike scully who is the new showrunner of this era of the simpsons (laughs) technically this is his first production episode the first episode he ran as a showrunner from seasons 9 to 12 so we should talk a little bit about his history uh, where he came from and where he went after the simpsons mike scully who you guys should definitely listen to our interview that's on patreon.com slash talking simpsons it will change your mind about mike scully he's he's a really nice guy who also i think it's uh scapegoated as the guy who made the show bad or whatever which i don't i used to subscribe to no longer do but we apologized to him on that podcast we did yes Uh, (laughs) but uh he grew up in west springfield massachusetts he's definitely older than most of the guys who were on the writing staff even when he was in the 90s writing on it he was one of the few like parents on the staff he was one of the few like old comedy pros he was also one of the few that didn't come from harvard Mm -hmm. he was a real like standout comparatively of comedy writers in that room he was a real salt of the earth type compared to the rest of just a naturally funny guy yeah just a funny dude Dude, who, who is he's very he's a very funny just uh, nice guy his twitter account is great too follow him on twitter uh but after he left west springfield as a college dropout which compared to all the harvard dudes he was surrounded by that's pretty <laughs> crazy uh he wrote for the yes the yakov smirnoff uh, <laughs> as, as a joke writer he did he was apparently just a general joke writer uh, for comedians like that was his his starting gig in the world of comedy and i believe he got his brother brian a job on that sitcom as well so that's how they both came up yeah so yakov smirnov after after writing for his stand-up he then got his own show which that was how the first tv show he wrote for which uh it was what a country it could only be called what a country <laughs> And uh, he also, Brian, uh, Mike Scully, along with his brother Brian Scully, also wrote on Out of This World, mm-hmm. the uh, the lesser small wonder I always think of it as. It's of that same very cheap, high-concept syndicated sitcom era of the late 80s, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I watched it. About a space girl. Yeah. I watched a couple. I mean, I'd watch... If the television was on, I was watching it. That was my job as a child. You've won me over. <laughs> and, uh, and Bob, you found another interesting one. Like, he worked on the would-be Married with Children spinoff show. Yes. Uh, he worked on Top of the Heap, which was a Married with Children adjacent show. Uh, it wasn't about an existing Married with Children character, but there was a sort of backdoor pilot on one episode of Married with Children where it would follow these new characters who you would follow to their own show. They were that interesting, but it was one of Matt LeBlanc's, one of his first early sitcoms before he found Friends. Mm-hmm. There, were a lot, there was a lot, a lot of buzz surrounding Matt LeBlanc. They wanted to get him on a sitcom. This is one of them. And also he worked on The Royal Family, which was the sitcom where Red Fox died on stage. Oh, right. uh, oh, okay. So that was cut short as well. But I believe from that, he went right to The Simpsons, where he was very much the new fish, mm-hmm. you know, and that he was not the Harvard guy. He was, um, you know, not of the same friend groups of all the writers who knew each other coming up at Harvard. So mm-hmm. he was very much the outsider. But he worked his way up from being like a writer. In season five, his first credited episode is Lisa's Rival. Even before taking over the show he was really good at writing stories about the kids about you know mining his personal life for stuff like the marge be not proud which for video game playing mama's boys was one of our favorites it uh, that was pulled from his real life childhood too when he took over the show there definitely was more of a focus on the chill he even said it in our interview get back to the family but it's definitely much more about the the kids too his seasons are when the kids really uh had a lot more of their own kid adventures and almost like a rugrat style world at times i think Uh, and also though his seasons i think are marked by uh so look we're anti-jerk ass narrative here yeah that's not it. Homer was a jerk. In Dave Merkin seasons, hardcore, he was. But his Homer is a mean Homer. In this episode, Homer is an awful person. In the next episode, Bart Starr, Homer's a piece of crap. He's Homer, I think they've got a lot of comedy out of making Homer mean, and that made them laugh. Of like, wouldn't it be funny if Homer just said the meanest thing he could right Yeah. Here? At times, they were right, it was, but it, it was a more cheapening of his character at times, the meaner you make Homer. And like with the previous showrunners, they also thought the show would be ending soon, so they yes. were like, why why don't we just do this? Why don't we? I mean, it's how much time do we have left? But as we know from history, that wasn't true. Interesting <laughs> that he apparently started with Yakov Smirnoff, and then he killed Red Fox, <laughs> and then he shepherded the Simpsons into its period of decline. So, I mean, I know you're you're trying to stay kind of even-handed about him, but he really sounds like a comedy angel of death, <laughs> a real comedy assassin. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, he, well, he also worked with Mel Gibson right before his fall from grace. Ooh, that's so. true. On a oh, com- wow, Complete Savages, I believe was the name of the sitcom. Yes. Yeah. Well, also, well, I mean, speaking politically, it's a little hard to get a read on Mike Scully, the man, because like he he definitely has like a Christ, uh, like Christian or Catholic upbringing, which he brings to the show, but also so many jokes on the simpsons are just like if we can make a joke about the catholic church we're gonna do it who cares like he got mel gibson on the show he worked a lot creatively with uh, hardcore catholic mel gibson though he would go on to work on parks and rec and also another like i think actually really good leftish type show the gerard carmichael show which was Mm -hmm. really trying to be like all in the family for for now which was a really good uh especially like african-american focused led show and mike scully was a big part of that show like that actually had like a a real ass black lives matter episode on tv in 2014 which is just like who who did that on nbc then still hard to believe 
So, hmm. so yeah, it's really, it, I will say it is hard to get a political read from him. I mean, he did also have a many, he had a very funny tweet of the president telling him he wants to uh, key his coffin when he, and that he would <laughs> hope he dies soon. Yes. So. He's very funny on Twitter. Yeah. Very spicy on Twitter. Well, he sounds like a nice man and uh, I'm, I'm just sorry for his legacy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think too, something that has changed my mind on Mike Scully's years on the show, not just from talking with him about how he thought like each season would be the last he stayed on longer than he thought he would as showrunner because he's like well the next season's got to be the last one i don't want to leave them with a new showrunner before the next season and he just kept sticking around and sticking around for four years but i think too ian maxton graham and george meyer really took more creative leads in the writer's room too like they sound almost on showrunner level if not right below it george meyer is one of the funniest guys in their writer's room but i think he has jokes that sometimes should be edited and they're just like no that's funny put it on the show yeah he would often tell jokes just to make the room laugh but then later those would end up in the actual episodes maybe some scenes you don't like and ian max Dunt graham is an elitist asshole i think <laughs> he's I twenty thousand feet tall uh yes yeah i i don't want to be that mean to him but i i think he wrote some of the worst episodes this season uh, or these these years yeah i feel like he definitely i mean it didn't help that ian max Dunt graham did a whole interview about how like yeah do we need women in the writer's room eh, yeah yeah <laughs> i'm sorry well we're not really making this all sound uh, too he did give that interview back in the 90s though sure it was like still 99. it was wrong then and it's wrong now but i mean <laughs> i I assume he wouldn't say that now. I would hope not. No. Oh, and I guess last thing about the this new era of The Simpsons too. Not only is Mike Scully running the show, but David Silverman is gone as supervising director of the animation. Who he had been with The Simpsons from day one on the shorts. He was an animator on The Simpsons shorts for the Tracy Ullman show, and he had been either directing episodes or supervising directing the entire season of The Simpsons. He has left. He'll be back. <laughs> he, he will be back. But we just got to make monsters. Inc. first. Pixar hired him away. Monsters Inc. is in trouble and they need him to make it a little better. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so instead the, who takes over though is a great great, one of the best directors in the show's history Jim Reardon. Who's also at Pixar now, right? Disney. He's oh, just Disney. a Disney prop. Oh, just Disney. <laughs> <laughs> You'll see him in the credits of every Wreck-It Ralph for Zootopia, those types of things. He's, he's pretty high level like story editor or something like that. I mean his old buddy Rich Moore is like almost he's like the new I was going to say the new John Lasseter, but I mean don't say I, that, please. He's he's the new guy in charge. He's the new he's the John Lasseter of animation. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, let's anyway. Jim Reardon is a really great director, but losing David Silverman, I think, is another creative drain on the show. They've lost. They're losing David Silverman the same season they lose Brad Bird as creative consultant, and they also lose Jeff Lynch, one of their best action directors. And so it's just it's a changing of the guard. It's a very time consuming job. I'm not saying you have to have a job for life at The Simpsons, but I, I believe of, that. <laughs> but this kind of creative shuffle is also what I think causes uh, changes in the show. I agree, yeah. This year. Uh, but I guess this episode, too, it, we joked with Mike Scully about it in our interview, but he had been pitching this episode for years and wasn't getting to do it. So the first episode he wants to do when he's in charge is Homer Buys a Gun because it was his idea. It's a funny one. Uh, I kind of want to get out there right now what we all feel about guns and gun control because I feel like that's going to be an important part of this discussion. Yes. Because this episode at the time in the late 90s it was very much uh, you know very neoliberal era and it seemed to be making a reasonable argument but now it doesn't seem very reasonable with everything that's happened since this episode has aired where Mm. 
the argument that's being made is like people like Homer shouldn't have a gun. But my response to that is people like Homer who don't have guns, those guns can be accessed by Homer style people. And also in the heat of the moment, you can become Homer if you have a gun. Like a gun can turn you into Homer Simpson because you have the kill weapon on you at all times. So I feel like I don't like the the message, but I ultimately I think it's coming down against you know, irresponsible gun use, but I feel like no yeah. gun use is responsible. No, I, I, I am also uh, a gun control, a pro gun control person, especially in America. Yeah. It's just such, it feels sometimes like the wild West, especially in other States. We live in California, which has more gun control rules. So hardly enough, but and yet I was mugged with a gun it, two yes. months ago. Well, if I was the NRA, Bob, I'd say that you should have had a gun to shoot that guy instead. Strangely so. enough, I had no urge to buy a gun. Uh, <laughs> I was more afraid of guns after that, so it failed. Uh, but but anyway, yeah, I, I would want more stringent gun control laws. Like seeing the aforementioned polling for Columbine was a very much like, oh yeah, this the it, it identified for me like America has a real problem with guns, as marble mouthed and all over the place that movie is. It was feelings I was already feeling. I think I, I still feel that way about gun control, though now it's not even like a cool doesn't even feel like the Democrats even talk much about it these not days. Not really. But, uh, but Will, you're you're from the, uh, as Bowling for Columbine told us, the perfect land of Canada where nothing bad ever happens with guns. <laughs> Possibly but, go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and according to Bowling for Columbine, we have exactly as many guns per capita as the United States, which I think Michael Moore did some fudging on the numbers there because we certainly don't have as many handguns. You know, I think the guns that we have are mostly like hunting rifles hmm. um, in, in, in the rural parts although i'm i'm by no means an expert on canada's gun laws uh, i do believe we have much stricter gun control here though you know I, I mean i'm not sure how many episodes are designed to survive the scrutiny that i'm gonna place on them <laughs> in this kind of shot by shot analysis for your show um i had very fond memories of this episode, as I do with most Simpsons episodes. And I think it cops out a little bit on the satire. Uh, mm. I mean, I think it's prescient in maybe some other regards. In terms of the NRA, I think it's become clearer since this episode came out that, you know, they're basically a racist hate group. Yep. For yeah. sure. Um, yeah, 100%. <laughs> but I mean, perhaps that should have been more apparent at the time. I think the kind of racial dimension. I mean, there's nothing funny about it, but it's noticeably absent from this episode. And I think it has always been key to the NRA. You know, one of the things that Bowling for Columbine, I think astutely points out is the fact that the NRA rose in parallel, uh, if not officially, with the Ku Klux Klan Mm. and the Reconstruction movement. And, you know, certainly in the 90s and it's only become more pronounced now. The NRA is an organization that's sustained by people who both fear black and Muslim and Mexican people and also kind of fantasize about an opportunity where they might be able to kill them. Oh, yeah. Um, So that's a roundabout way of expressing (laughs) my opinion of the NRA. It's funny because the NRA did not like this episode. Uh, They wrote many a letter. 
Well, I mean, it's their job to just say like, oh, did you on this TV show even lightly say guns are bad? Then it's uh, like they wouldn't be doing their job as a political organization to not attack, attack, attack when they really do get like such a nice treatment here. They actually stop a bad guy with a gun. They are the good guys with the guns <laughs> that actually show up and fix things, which and, never happens. And they're a very diverse group of people, which again, not so much in real yeah, life. Yeah. Like, and, and also they stop a white man who's irresponsibly using guns from being in their membership, which again, it's not, not so real. I feel like they want, it's, there's definitely a lot of both sides to this that I, I don't particularly, uh, have much, uh, don't cotton as much now as I did in 1997 for sure. But I think us looking at shows through the modern lens, we always do that. We're not just doing it oh, for yeah. this one. Yeah. I, and you know, I think these things probably should have been, and you know, frankly, they were apparent in the nineties. It wasn't that long after this, that the Columbine massacre happened. Uh, certainly there were gun control advocates all throughout the nineties and, you know, anybody who cared to think about the NRA for like more than a second would have figured out what, who is it really protecting uh, and what is its real function. One thing I will say about this episode is that what it gets exactly right is the absolute median demographic of an NRA member, which is Homer. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. true. Yeah, uh, it, it would be very appealing to him. The, the I, I think this too shows just where the conversation about guns were then. Like, I think uh, social media has a lot of pros and cons, but one side of it definitely has been to show us what like you don't have to imagine the NRA member that like Aaron Sorkin writes for some screed in <laughs> West Wing. Yeah, you get to see them actually, you know, yelling racial slurs at Obama and saying like, if I if you try to take my gun. Blah, 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 blah. Like you, you get to see who the real people are, or it gives you a more informed look at them. So, Hey, that's at least a positive of, uh, the, the aching maw that is uh, social media. I mean, you're absolutely right. In the nineties, the people who were representing the conservative side in the media were people like, I don't know, George will <laughs> like, like that, or I don't know, William F. Buckley, these, you know, in terms of their, their rhetorical styles are certainly not representative of what the great mass of conservatives are thinking. And uh, also politically, it's interesting too, because, you know, Matt Groening, obviously no fan of guns. He's a classic Portland hippie, like uh, much to the left of probably all the writers on the show, even I think, or most mm -hmm. of them. But meanwhile, this one is written by John Swartzwelder, who has to be the most to the right of the classic Simpsons oh, writers. Yeah. Like they, they, I think, uh, I think David Merkin jokingly called him a fascist. He's, he's an openly libertarian dude who sounded like from stories would troll the writers with just saying like, there's not, there's a ton of rainforest left or actually cigarettes help you. What are you talking and about? And he stopped writing in the office when the smoking ban happened in California and he could yeah. no longer smoke in the office. So he just started writing at home and they never saw him again, but his yeah. scripts would always show up. And he's a very funny writer. So yeah, a lot of great books. Yeah. So I think that too, if you're wondering, yeah, as we talk about maybe the nuanced uh, view on guns in this episode, I think too, it partially comes from like, it's an outline by Mike Scully, but then the draft is written by pro gun guy john Schwartzwelder. so mm -hmm. i who i think probably agree when he gives the nra correct points i'm like i think you agree with these guys yeah me too before we dive into the episode i would also just suggest that i don't think this episode would be possible after columbine no way. oh no way no, no way. way yeah you're totally Something right about this that. episode doesn't uh, grapple with at all is mass shootings which 
you know, I, I'm sure there had been mass shootings before this. Columbine seems to me like the most famous or the first, the first really well-known mass shootings. And after that, an episode like this would have had to deal with it in some way. And I think uh, the potential for humor would have immediately disappeared. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the previous massacres in history were very isolated and seemingly rare, uh, like Charles Starkweather in Texas mm-hmm. and the, the cafeteria massacre in, I believe, Texas. With Starkweather, they, they yeah. made multiple jokes about him on The Simpsons. There's too. an entire King of the Hill episode that's a parody of that sniper <laughs> yeah. event. So, yeah, but they, they didn't seem to be as uh, normal. No, I mean, and now it just is like... You guys on Bowling from Columbine, you mentioned the then most recent massacre, which I believe was Orlando Pulse shooting. Yeah. I literally, when you guys said Orlando, I was like, which one was that? Like, that was, that one is a horrible event. And I thought when it happened, like, oh, I'll never forget this. And now I'm just like, okay, which massacre was that? With how many years ago? It's, right. it's very depressing. Yeah. It's it very is. depressing. Anyway, let's talk about these funny jokes. Yeah. You know, it's not depressing. Uh, soccer. Soccer. <laughs> yeah. A lot of funny jokes in this episode. I gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, let's start with this uh, soccer commercial that opens up the episode. Wait, hang on. Oh. Don't you want to start with the reference to the Richard Gere gerbil story? Oh, oh yes. yes. Sure, yes. Perhaps <laughs> the first time this was referenced, I looked it up again. I believe we talked about it on a podcast before, but this started, I believe, during the period in which Richard Gere was becoming huge because of Pretty Woman. Ah, yes. And uh, some prankster sent out a fake press release about the gerbil incident and it was a uh, i think the release was like he's going to be nicer to animals now he's donating in the <laughs> it's a PETA or something like that so one guy pre-internet pre-social media just sent out a bunch of fake faxes to radio stations and tv <laughs> networks and because of that we know the richard gear gerbil story it's sort of like how we all know at least at least i know it's like oh yeah rod stewart drank 35 gallons of cum and yeah. or whatever yeah. the story is <laughs> I'm sorry to say that it's the first thing I think about when I think of Richard Gere every time, <laughs> dependably. He's been trying uh, that's so hard. unfair to him. He's been trying so hard to make you think of like Buddhism, Buddhism or yeah. Tibet. Yeah. Like he he'll does. be uh, he'll be on the show in like four years. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> for him, his activism strikes me as very noble. You know, yeah. it's a shame yeah. that he just had that, that horrible run in with a gerbil. <laughs> <laughs> but just one guy with a fax machine destroyed his entire reputation oh. to this day. Yeah, we must have talked about that in Fish called Selma since that pretty much yes, is all just yes, about it. Exactly. Troy McClure and his fish fetish as they say. But check out Snopes. It's got the dirt on everything. <laughs> the Simpsons will be right back. Hope you guys are all enjoying this week's episode of Talking Simpsons with apologies to soccer fans and gun fans. And we really want to thank our guest, Will Sloan. You guys should definitely check out his podcast, especially if you like this political talk. Listen to Michael and Us, a very fun media podcast about films and TV shows from a leftist political stance. Also, if you enjoy this podcast and want to hear more of it and support us, go to patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. Me and Bob just did a trip to Los Angeles to record more awesome podcasts. You're going to be hearing them soon. And we can only do that with the support of listeners like you at patreon.com slash talking Simpsons. And you get so much for your $5 a month. If you sign up now, you'll get to hear next week's episode of talking Simpsons, Bart star a week ahead of time and ad free and all future episodes for the same deal. Not to 
to mention our sister podcast, What a Cartoon. Me and Bob talk about a different animated series each week, and you can hear that podcast a week ahead of time and ad-free for the same $5 a month. Plus, you'll get to hear our amazing interviews with Simpsons legends like David Silverman, Mike Scully, Mike Reese, and so many more, and our many limited series that are only available on the Patreon, like me and Bob going through every episode of The Critic, the first season of Futurama, and coming soon, King of the Hill's first season will be covered in the same way. If you go to the $10 level, you get even more awesome stuff. Me and Bob do an exclusive once-a-month podcast, What a Cartoon Movie, where we go through a different animated film in the same Talking Simpsons style. Films like Batman, Mask of the Phantasm, Akira, and a Goofy Movie. You'll be able to hear all of that if you sign up at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. If you enjoy this podcast enough that you'd want to buy a t-shirt instead of getting an NRA tattoo, you should head over to tiny.cc slash talking shirt. If you head over there, you'll see two, two, two of our amazing t-shirts designed by wonderful friend of the show and artist Nina Matsumoto. There's the talking Simpsons logo done in the style of Ion Springfield in a beautiful sky blue by Nina, as well as our death jingle t-shirt with a somewhat familiar looking Grim Reaper. You can find both of those for $19.99 at tiny.cc slash talking shirt or at shirtsickle.com. It ships someone internationally, comes in many different shapes and sizes. Be sure to check them out. Tiny.cc slash talking shirt. Uh, but yes, then we get into a joke that I think ruined soccer for a generation of Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Open wide for some soccer! The Continental Soccer Association is coming to Springfield. It's all here. Fast kicking, low scoring, and ties. <laughs> you bet. Dad, how come you never taken us to see a soccer game? I don't know. <laughs> You'll see all your favorite soccer stars, like Ariaga, Ariaga 2, Bariaga, Aruglia, and Pizza. Oh, I never heard of those people. And they'll all be signing autographs. Woohoo! This match will determine once and for all which nation is the greatest on earth, Mexico or Portugal. <laughs> There are so many great jokes packed into that little opening yes. there. I love it so much. Every joke. I mean, well, so soccer in America is uh, has been fraught with, uh, I think it's finally maybe getting a foothold here. I, in the 90s, though, it was like kids played it if they wanted you to do something more active than baseball, I suppose. But that was pretty much it. And uh, I think this really did sour a whole generation of kids on the idea of soccer. Hmm. And just the way they describe it, of just like low scoring. And ties, you bet. <laughs> On the commentary, Matt Groening was pointing out how he loves watching soccer, and Mike Scully agrees that watching hockey is just as ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still low scoring, I, ties, you bet. I think I'd rather watch soccer than hockey if I was forced to. Well, I, Although we can't disparage hockey, there's a Canadian guest. So. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I'll tell you, back in the day when I used to write for a community newspaper, I had to see, I want to say, 100 hockey games. 
And it totally soured me on that sport. It's just a horribly repetitive and unpleasant sport and very cold as well. (laughs) And I think soccer has the advantage of taking place in warm weather. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that gets my vote. And the ball is easier to see than a puck. Come on. Yeah. It's also funny to think that Hank Williams Jr., who hates uh, anything non-American would ever do an ad for soccer. Like, that's hilarious. I like that he's barefoot in the few seconds you see him. For some reason, he just has no shoes on. Uh, and God, just uh, I think Bisoxa is my favorite of yes. the main plays. And well, I think too this this ad definitely drives home the un-Americanness of soccer too. And another reason it doesn't appeal to Americans is because it doesn't have white people with recognizable names. As and America is not in the contest for best country on earth. <laughs> exactly. This uh, joke happened in the shadow of 1994. Was that weird time where America had the World Cup? Like, which is crazy. America's never had a particularly good soccer team on the men's side anyway and so having us host the world cup in 1994 uh, was a strange moment uh, and i and now especially knowing how uh, shitty are uh, any it is for anybody to come to America from mm. another country. I feel bad for such an international event happening here. And all these people had to fl- fly to fucking Florida to see their team play soccer. <laughs> uh, but I also think this joke, Mike Scully is a child of the seventies and that shows through pretty much all of his seasons. And this really feels to me more like it reflects the 1970s attempts to make soccer popular oh, really? in America with the North American Soccer League okay. is it was called. Wow, I didn't know that. Their biggest deal in the 70s was, so they had started in 68, but uh, in the mid-70s, there was a major star, Pele, who had retired, but they paid him the most money any uh, any professional sportsman had ever been paid. They paid him to come out of retirement for two years, and basically it just became like, it's Pele, he'll do anything, he appears anywhere, it's the Pele. So that became, he became a major celebrity then, which is why you're going to see Pele later in this episode. But once he stopped, people didn't go to games anymore. They're just like, oh, Pele's gone, Pele's I gone. guess soccer's over too. And Pele would literally endorse anything which is why we see him doing that in this episode <laughs> yes yeah. i think the simpsons uh, has a lot of nerve taking a shot at pele for endorsing anything <laughs> <laughs> like, how much simpsons shit you can get <laughs> the writers don't have a say in that unfortunately i think i think they're safe i found an annoying thing and uh so there's an entire media class which writes did simpsons predict it and an annoying article that comes up for this episode is that in july of last year there were stories like did the simpsons predict the world cup finals because of this mexico portugal thing as somebody who doesn't pay attention to soccer i didn't know what the world cup final was last year until looking this up so i was actually even more mad at it because mexico portugal were not in the finals they weren't even in the semifinals this was before the world cup (laughs) even happened that they're like would this like that's like saying yeah. any joke on the Simpsons might have predicted something? Uh, I hate. I was so like, mad reading that article. There are maybe three edge cases that aren't real predictions, <laughs> but are just too eerie. But that's that's it. You can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Usually it's like, oh, Mister Burns' uh, doorbell looks like an iPod, so therefore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, it did not come down to Mexico and Portugal last year. It was between France and Croatia, and France won, just in case you guys were uh, very curious about that. This was also a time in the 90s when soccer riots were, I think, uh, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember just hearing a lot about soccer riots on TV. You know, it was this... Yeah. 
always with like this kind of like vague like cultural chauvinism to it like oh look at these crazy mexicans who just can't control themselves you know watching a soccer game i believe snl had like a regular soccer hooligan character bit that they did (laughs) which i think the term hooligan is like that's a little too not from an american stance on what the word hooligan means it doesn't feel harsh enough for what happens during a (laughs) soccer ride in say england you know oh those hooligans they get specific specific about the Scottish in this because they uh I can't tell how much of this was like Wikipedia coming at it from a like oh those Scots they always start soccer rights but apparently they there's a long history of football uh fights happening at Scottish games specifically I was impressed how many cultural stereotypes they were able to fit into this game too because you also see two like karate guys fighting yeah that was rand I have to say that was quite rand and delicious paella I love paella I've I've never had paella I had some fresh paella for the first time in Vancouver and it's amazing Uh, but yeah actually let's hear some paella and pele together at last I'll kill myself if Portugal doesn't win It's hard to believe this used to be an internment camp. Yo, paella man, wing one up here. Hey, look, it's Pele. Pele is king of the soccer field. To be king of your kitchen, use Crestfield wax paper. And he's still alive, but that's not actually Pele, by the way. It's Hank Azaria. The master of accents, Hank Azaria, everybody. (laughs) I believe in the credits they had to put that was uh, some some celebrity voices are impersonated. Yeah, which they don't often do. Maybe they're just worried about the Pele industry. Pele's more likely to sue him than others, I think. Well, also that Pele Crestfield wax paper joke reminds me of uh, me and Bobby used to work in the video games press. Mm -hmm. And at some E3 I was covering, I remember at the Electronic Arts Press Conference for some FIFA game. No, sorry, it was Ubisoft. They were making some non-FIFA related soccer game, and it was endorsed by Pele. And Pele comes out to be like, yes, Pele soccer game. Good. And then walked away. I was just like, that's Crestfield wax paper all over again. My favorite part of any E3 was the obligatory bored celebrity. (laughs) Bored and resentful celebrity. I urge everyone to go online. I've written about this before. Go online and look at uh, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr coming out (laughs) to help announce Beatles Rock Band. Uh, They're on stage for about 20 seconds and Paul McCartney does not spit out his gum. In fact, he's chewing it rather uh, explicitly. And I think all he says is, we're androids. Oh, oh wow. That's yeah. something, right? Yeah. And he seems so, does not care at all. I want to know how many figures he got for that, but it is just the biggest middle finger and I can't believe everyone thought that was cool. Uh, and then the intended joke is that soccer is boring, but uh, I think too that the when they show them passing it back and forth, that is not really what a soccer, a major league soccer game is. There's a lot of running back and forth. Yeah. It's quite, you'll, you're getting action. They don't stand in place and keep passing at each other like it's more like a foosball game that's happening it on really the screen, is. actually. Uh, some cool trivia yeah. is, um, the I believe the janitor at Film Roman, uh, one of the janitors, uh, taught the director about soccer, and he's drawn <laughs> into this episode as like the referee or something like that. I feel like he like should have gotten a consultant pay on yeah. that. I think that's a little... Hey, the- he's, he's non-union. You join the WGA <laughs> if you want that. But I, I like, I respect the fact that there is, there's 30 seconds between the passing starting to Homer saying boring, so they waste 30 seconds of jokes it's- on just monotonous passing 
passing. I didn't re- I didn't realize it went on that long until I actually went back and counted. <laughs> and then we also get a joke about the uh, the Spanish announcers versus American announcers. I feel like the joke would work better if the guy was actually speaking Spanish. But I mean, it's it's that he has more energy. It feels more like a joke on. American announcers are boring on these games, while meanwhile the often the foreign language guys are putting more spirit into it. Perhaps well, also the fact that Americans find soccer boring, but uh, the Spanish do not. It's kind of a culture clash joke. Yeah, yeah. Spanish can can according to this episode at least find some incredible drama in this boring game where <laughs> to to Americanize there is none. Which I mean, I've I've heard that kind of thing from the opposite way i've i've mentioned many times i've worked for a british company for a while and if i asked them what they thought of baseball they they're <laughs> like if you think what we say is mean about soccer their thoughts on americans <laughs> pastime were so negative they could not stand it they thought it was the most boring stupid game it's ever. no cricket <laughs> <laughs> uh, you gotta know what a crumpet is to like cricket <laughs> Uh, but apparently that announcer is a parody of, uh, I believe his name is Andre Cantor, Argentinian uh, football announcer who did the famous goal. Uh, okay. That was just screaming goal like that was a joke for about 10 years, I yeah. think. That, that's just what counted as a joke. But, uh, but as the boredom increases, the soccer riot begins. Halfback passes to the center. Back to the wing. Back to the center. Center holds it. Holds it. Holds it. Halfback passes to center. Back to wing. Back to center. Center holds it. Holds it. Holds it. I can't bear this any longer. I'm leaving. Yeah, not before me, you ain't. Now, now, there's plenty of exits for everyone. Oh, that's it. You're dead, pal. Hey, now, that's uncalled for. That's your hole, Skinner. Call this a soccer riot? Come on, boys. Let's take him to school. And the riot begins. I just love the mix of characters in this. Uh, for some reason, Chalmers is sitting behind Skinner and with Sanjay. It's oh, a weird assortment. It's like uh, Skinner and Chalmers should be near each other, I think the idea was, but not next to each other. Also, Cletus has really good seats. I don't yeah. know how he afforded that. He's like up there with Krusty the Clown near the front. I got to think he snuck in or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, Krusty should have better seats than Cletus. Uh, also, in the big fight, you can see Dr. Hibbert strangling Dr. Nick. That was a joke a nice I didn't touch. notice until now. Yeah. yeah. And I really love the animation on Barney basically like charging like a rhino into the, ra- like head first into a crowd of people. A guy yells at Homer, Jobber's cob notch, you mucker, which. Correct me if I'm wrong, British listeners, but I, that's just nonsense, right? That's not a real thing. It's uh, Scottish made-up stuff. It's not real. Okay. They made it up. <laughs> it's convincingly enough to make you think it's real, but it's not. <laughs> I like Jobber's Cobnots, though. Oh, it's great. Yamaka! And, uh, yeah, so mob rule begins in the, in the city of Springfield, which they also just like... I, I like how Kip Brockman is just like, and so the mob ri- wins They've uh, for the next for few years. Every years, family yeah. for themselves. <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, that is what TV news is supposed to make you think. Like, yeah. it is, it's mob rule at all times. I, yeah. 
whenever I've gone home to visit family, I am just like my mom. I was just talking to my mom about this. She's like, well, I want to watch the evening news to stay informed. And every time I see it with it on, it's just like, here's a story about a cop killing someone. Here's a story about someone killing a cop. Here's a story about some other crime that happened in your area. I'm just like, this is terrifying. How this is hurting your brain, mom. I don't, I don't like this. I think The Simpsons in the 90s is very useful for like reminding us of what are the things the people were afraid of in that decade. Mm-hmm. Because like, you know, what what's the, the popular narrative? The Berlin Wall had fallen and the Soviet Union had ended and uh, it was the end of history and there were no more <laughs> wars to be fought. And uh, politics was moving along smoothly. And, and, you know, it's not like the uh, terrifying hell world we're in today. But yeah, you look at The Simpsons and so many of the episodes are about, you know, w- whether it's, um, you know, the, the 90s immigration panic or uh, in this case, you, you know, like so- soccer riots or mm-hmm. these like th- those like America's most wanted fears that there are criminals yeah. and molesters on every street corner. Ned is agreeable to a fault, even as a man is stealing his TV. I do like that. That's very nice. He assumes it's a misunderstanding. <laughs> Sir. And uh, and also Homer's like Home Alone style uh, trap for the burglar. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Which, I mean, right next door to him, they are looting the entire house. He should feel pretty lucky he only lost a fish. <laughs> That's true. The next scene with the ex-con home security feels very Schwartzwelder. I love uh, the yes. places. The, the previous occupants of the house could be here right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. And, uh, and also just the, the bags under the eyes of that guy really yeah. uh, really tell a story there too the, it's framed very well in that he's supposed to be weirdly intimidating and that a lot of his like shot over his shoulder looking down at the mm. Simpsons when he's talking to them so very very good choices <laughs> even in your grocery yeah. just march stairs at it I uh, you know my parents they never paid for security system though and one of the places we moved into did have one already installed and it was just annoying like it would just yeah. beep sometimes or there'd be a flashing green light constantly or when we first moved in there was just this button in the bathroom. I was like, I I was 10 or 12. So I thought, what does this button do? What the button does is start blaring a giant alarm and then the police come. And uh, yeah. And so it's just like the button you don't press ever after that. And it's just, it was the security system is at best for peace of mind. They are useless. I remember you could like buy a security camera for your own home this was the stuff I used to see advertised when I was a kid if I was watching America's Most Wanted, uh, which I did have a brief period of watching as a kid. Like there were constantly commercials for like Alarm Force or, you know, wh- wh- whatever whatever those companies were. Like the show was designed to make you afraid. Uh, and then <laughs> along would come these commercials to help that fear that had just been instilled. Yeah, well, oh now my. there's the uh, the social network for paranoid homeowners uh, oh, yeah. next door. Oh, God. And it's just about filming everybody doing anything around <laughs> your house. Yeah. I've thought of joining it just to see, like, what are my neighbors in my apartment like? But I kind of don't want to know. No. <laughs> I think I'm better off not knowing. I recently what got happened to... to having just a good old-fashioned telescope and peering <laughs> into your neighbor's window. You had to work for it. You had to have a long, uh, great telescopic camera to look at them across the way. But no, I... Well, actually, I got to know too much of my neighbors recently because the next door neighbors, like, apparently their bedroom wall is right next to our bedroom wall. And just, like, okay. they came over one night. They're like, we can just hear you talking. I was like, well, 
What? Like we live, we've lived here for a year now. Get the, I, I don't like move your bed away from the wall. You just moved in. I prefer to not see my neighbors. And whenever I go check the mail and I see one, I'm like, damn it, this should not happen. <laughs> I am exactly the same way, by the way. <laughs> That's good. It's not just me. <laughs> uh, All so, podcasters are like this. Yeah. Uh, so, so Homer is being sold uh, the security, but Homer, I think, has a better idea on how to make his family secure. Intruders could come in down the chimney, through the mail slot, even hidden in your grocery. <laughs> Did you change the locks when you moved in? Nah, I thought not. All the previous owners of this house could still be in here somewhere. What do you recommend? Well, a lot of companies would put in a pretty system that looks good, but doesn't provide any real protection. Oh, let's get that. But if you really want to sleep easy at night, I recommend sealing off every door and window with bulletproof lucite. Wouldn't we all suffocate? <laughs> well, I should hope not. <laughs> let's get that, the suffocation thing. And you can have it all for just $500. $500? Oh, forget it. But surely you can't put a price on your family's lives. I wouldn't have thought so either, but here we are. Homer, we need something to protect this family. I couldn't agree more, Marjorie. You deserve peace of mind, and peace of mind is what you shall have. I'd like to buy your deadliest gun, please. Aisle six, next to the sympathy cards. It's a good act break joke. Yeah. It's, it's funny that we don't see the idea of buying a gun put in Homer's head, you know, <laughs> before this, because I feel like that that should be the inciting incident. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, maybe the security guy would tell him, like, what, are you just going to buy a gun? Yeah. Or, then Homer does I don't know. I like uh, that it's just sort of taken as a given that what would kind of a dumb uh, middle-aged white guy like Homer <laughs> do? What would be the first thing he would want to do to protect his family? Well, of course he would buy a gun. That's true. I guess it's just ingrained in his brain. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking this episode a lot when I worked at that aforementioned website because there was this weird moment where one guy on the staff bought a gun and then other two other people were like, eh, I guess I should be safe. I should buy one too. And I was just like, what the fuck are you people doing? Yeah. And the, our, our British coworkers actually were just like, one day they pitched like, hey, you guys own guns. You guys should like do a shooting range thing or whatever and then i had to like i staunchly stood up like i fucking hate guns i don't i don't want you guys to think we're the gun nut team here and then <laughs> three other people were just like well, we, we, we all own multiple guns i was like jesus christ have you guys ever held or shot a gun yes actually i didn't mention this earlier but i grew up in uh the midwest in hunting culture my uncle uh, was a big hunter. He did big game stuff, so he's a monster, of course. <laughs> I agree with you there. And uh, he uh, brought me up to shoot, so I did a lot of target shooting. I never went hunting because I didn't want to. Even as a kid, I was like, this is gross. I don't want any part of this. But I would win like trophies and stuff by target shooting. So I was doing that up until I was like 11, 10 or 11. Wow. And now, like, even when I see a gun, as well, especially on a police officer, but even with somebody who's supposed to have a gun, I kind of just want to leave the room. Just like, I, I don't want to be around this thing at all. So... Yeah, I grew up in gun culture and shooting, and I never ever want to do it again. I have never fired a gun. I have held a couple guns in my hands because uh, my dad is a former cop, and yes, you're you're you are correct to assume things about him <laughs> from that. But um, but he also owned a bunch of guns, and I never wanted to touch guns. Like his my my cousins, their their dad was a big hunter. My dad wasn't. I think because he's just lazy. But he did <laughs> own he did own a bunch of guns, and one day I think probably 
in response to me seeing things like Bowling for Columbine, I think he thought to himself, like, I want to tell him guns are good. <laughs> and so he pulled out, like, one of his handguns, unloaded, Oof. and he's just like, here, hold this. This is a gun. This is how it works. It's nothing to be scared of. And I hated every second I was holding it. I was just like, this is just death in my hands. This is the like, thing you point out what you want to die. Yeah, I was I was thinking of this episode, too, in, in a negative context of just like, God, I hate, I hate this. I've never... Never fired a gun. Uh, I hope to never have to. And I do not own a gun. I mean, if I ever were to inherit guns, I don't think I would keep them. I'd feel even weird selling them because I'm like, well, I'd want the money, but these things shouldn't exist in my opinion. I get really afraid just like trying to pop open a bottle of champagne. Oh, so. dear God. Yeah. Or biscuits. Yeah. Pillsbury <laughs> so, biscuits. So no guns for me. No thanks. <laughs> so yes, this is the kind of like gun wusses you guys are dealing yeah. with on this episode. Welcome to Wusstown. <laughs> Bunch of beta cucks over I'm, here. I'm like Rambo compared to you guys. <laughs> you really are. Well, so those were like hunting rifles and never a handgun? Shaw, like never a handgun, but rifles and a shotgun. Okay. Yeah. No, I also, uh, my dad too was not a very, I mean, he, my dad, I don't never saw him even hold his gun, but he, he didn't like have a gun safe. That didn't have, it was the closet. And it was just, I, as a kid, I knew it as that's the closet you don't go in for hide and seek. It was not explained to me why until eventually I got to see like, oh, that's where he keeps his old guns. Like he doesn't even display them particularly well. Yeah. I'm not sure if my uncle, so I live with my grandma and it would surprise you that a, a gun nut lived with his mother until he was 50. What? So I lived with my grandma briefly as a kid and he was still living there. I see. And uh, he had not completely moved out and he had still a lot of his stuff there when he eventually found a woman. And uh, I was going back there to take care of my grandma and visit her. And I went back into his room and I was just opening drawers. There's like bullets and knives and and guns, just like all this stuff is just sitting here. Did you hide this when I was a kid and living here? I didn't even know. <laughs> so I do think one of the commentaries they like just have exist, but no, don't directly speak to is that Homer acts incredibly irresponsible at all times with his guns. But the pro-gun people never try to stop him from having it. A You would think a more moral gun store owner would be like, I will refuse to sell you a gun. You are incredibly irresponsible. But he doesn't do that. He's just like, no, you, you have a right to buy guns. And I'm going to sell them all to you. Yeah, they make some good jokes about like how irresponsible the system is and like you know there's that scene where where he says oh you've been in a a a mental institution you have problems with alcohol you beat up former president bush uh so you have to wait five days or or whatever maybe i'm mixing up the joke with another joke um which i think is like pretty astute satire that is i mean you know, just two years later, two kids from Littleton, Colorado would be able to buy a whole bunch of ammunition and shoot up their school. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and also on a price-wise thing, it's funny that Homer bulks at $500 when that is pretty... If the gun alone doesn't cost 500 the other stuff he buys for it costs $500. But Lucite is not as sexy as a gun. <laughs> uh, but yes, here's Homer being told all about his cool new gun. Whoa, careful there, Annie Oakley. I don't have to be careful. I got a gun. Well, you probably want the accessory kit, holster. Oh, yeah. Bandolier. Baby. Silencer. Mm-hmm. Loudener. Uh. Speed cocker. Ooh, I like the sound of that. And this is for shooting down police helicopters. <laughs> oh, I don't need anything like that. Yet. 
I, that police helicopter joke is extra funny to me because it's this interesting tightrope walk that gun nuts, uh, the NRA folks in particular have to have of just like, whoever is president is how you feel about the cops. Like you, but they also have to be like, well, I fear the cops are going to come and take away all my guns, but also cops should be able to shoot anybody they want all the time. As long as it's not me. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that uh, police helicopter joke speaks to that same fear. I'm just like, no, I need something to shoot down the police helicopters eventually, right? They're when they come, come for, for my me. guns. <laughs> Which, like, they're not. If you're white, they're not going to. That's not their job. <laughs> for some reason, it, I think they gave him bloodbath and beyond is a cute joke. I like it. I, I like, like it. it. But it feels like they gave him Herman's store. Or, like, he has yeah. a Confederate flag up in his store, too. Which, like, that's also very real for a gun store, I would think. I was wondering why it wasn't Herman, but I guess he only sells military antiques, not actual uh, usable modern weapons. That's yeah, yeah, I guess that's it. I've always felt that Herman was a tragically underexploited resource on the show. Uh, I, I hope you feel the same. Yeah. yeah. His one time to shine after his first episode was a Pulp Fiction parody, and that was right. it. Which cast him as uh, Zed, and we yeah. all know what Zed did. So I, Much more sinister light than we were first introduced to him. <laughs> yeah. He was and also, now he just shows up in crowd scenes. Yeah, and then he operated the counterfeit jeans ring out of the car hole. <laughs> yeah, I think... He only gets brought back when they want something more evil than Snake. They're like, well, what's something that Snake or Moe would balk at? And that's that's what they would give to Herman. I, Yeah, I mean, especially now, like Herman, well, there's always a use for the conspiracy-minded anti-government kook. There's always a need to speak to that in society. But this is his time to shine right now, especially. Mm-hmm. I also love Homer just... Just pulling the trigger right in his face. The amount of times he has a gun in someone's face. And I think they're getting away with something by having a gun pointing directly at the camera, as it were. I think so. That is a no-no for some animated shows. (laughs) Uh, But now Homer's finding out how the government gets in the way of his precious gun. Just give me my gun. Sorry, the law requires a five-day waiting period. We've got to run a background check. Five days? But I'm mad now. (laughs) Yeah. I'd kill you if I had my gun. Yeah, well, you don't. <laughs> I love that. Big shot. He's so big because he's got a lot of guns. But if he didn't have any guns, I'd show him a thing or two. Then we'll see who's worried about five-day waiting period. Dad, it's 3 a.m. Can't you mutter in your room? Marge kicked me out. Uh, all right. Go ahead. Pushy kids think they can tell me what to do in my house. I tell you parents these days, they don't know how to rear children. <laughs> I do like that joke. I think it's one of the best parts of the show. It yeah. really gets like who the gun owners are. They are like uh, these these impotent men who, you know, feel very powerless and feel constrained by the shackles of domesticity. And they lash out by buying a gun. <laughs> I, I love how how many red flags there are with Homer, especially it's like it's kind of a shocking line, but I love it so much. Like, I'd kill you if I had my gun. Yeah, well, you don't. <laughs> yes, I, I want to officially give that line of the episode. Oh, let's do actually. it. Let's do it. That's the joke. Also, I should point out that John Swartzwelder had a pilot for Fox because I assume everyone who worked on The Simpsons just got a pilot for something. And it's called Pistol Pete and it's online and it's about a cowboy who just shoots everybody with a gun. <laughs> 
and I kind of want to do an episode about it for the Patreon at some point in the future. I, you know, I'd like to do that. It I've... doesn't really work because he's writing Simpsons gags for a low-budget live-action TV show. Oh, yeah. But you could see how, oh, if this was a Simpsons bit, it would work. But I kind of want to do it for the podcast, so maybe we'll do it in the future. Uh, the the waiting period gag, too, just like, but I'm mad now. Like, yeah. That is why waiting periods exist, though. Not So I, I double-checked this into, I didn't want to just spout off what I have remembered about gun laws. I, I did look this up a little bit. There is no national waiting period oh. because obviously those uh, those clowns in Congress, uh, but they they don't want to do any national gun laws. It's it, and Democrats, half of them are scared of doing it too because the NRA is going to be up their ass if they do it. So there there just isn't a national waiting period. It's more state by state. Uh, in some states, there actually is like no, there's no waiting period, or they just do it like no, it's a gun show. Like you don't have to do. Or also, if you do an interpersonal sale of like, I don't own a gun store, I just own a gun and I'm going to sell it to you today. Okay, here you go. And you can just trade it in a parking lot. It's that easy. In, like on Breaking Bad. I've seen yeah, it. Yeah. One where we live now in California, it has one of the more strict ones. It's a 10-day waiting period to get oh, your no. gun. Yeah, I know. You you have to really plan out when you want that gun. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, also there are, there are some background checks, but also not in other states either. Like Florida is one of the loosest. Can you believe it? That the stand your ground state has very loose gun laws and, uh, and somehow it doesn't make them safer. I don't understand this ah god this country okay now, <laughs> now you're now you're muttering, muttering. <laughs> i can't believe this country god i i so I, much if only somebody with a gun could go in and figure out this <laughs> <laughs> just got to get something done well i this does take me back to like if it's time for uh the socialist complaint about democrats hour yeah but i do God damn, the last time the Democrats actually did something about the guns in Congress was when they had like their sit in to be like, we got to do something. There was just another massacre. And they're like, their wedge on it was like, what if we just put gun control on the people on the no fly list? Which that's bet. Is that better than nothing? I don't well, know. Well, the no fly list itself is like, a, it's a, hella a racist. Thing. <laughs> yeah. And it just speaks to like, well, look, if we endorse this massive racist security state, can we at least have gun control on that? And even then the Republicans wouldn't do it. Even then they're like, <laughs> even if it's pro racism, <laughs> yeah, we're doing the racist thing you want Republicans. Can't you vote for this? Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it seems to have disappeared as an issue somewhat because I mean, it, it flares up whenever there's a mass shooting and who knows there might be one tomorrow. I guess it's disappeared as an issue to some extent because like the Democrats haven't had any power in about eight years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they haven't been able to pass. And, you know, even if they did have the power to pass something, they probably wouldn't yeah, that's also would true. pass some, some weak tea, like, Oh, bet better background checks <laughs> thing. Um, a tax credit you know. towards waiting yeah. periods or something. Yeah. Uh, but so Homer Homer can't get his precious precious gun for another five days we get a uh, a very cute montage of all the things he'd want to shoot over the Tom Petty song The Waiting very good I love that I think something this episode really gets at is the idea that like if you have a gun and you know you're buying your gun and you're waiting for your gun to arrive you kind of want to use it right it would suck (laughs) to spend all that money on that gun and just have it collecting dust uh, in the closet somewhere you want to you want to kill uh, a fucking bad guy <laughs> you're dreaming of it and... yeah. or your sister's-in-law yes yeah. or, or your annoying neighbor as the case may be. oh yeah drives back and forth twice just waving dying to be shot by her 
And uh, that's the late Tom Petty there who would four years later be the guest star, uh, one of many musical guest stars in the season 13 premiere. Oh, right. That's right. Uh, a lot, yeah. And he's, uh, I remember when he passed away, Mike Scully had some, some thoughtful words about uh, the passing of Tom Petty, who would then just go on to be like a professional voice actor on King of the Hill after Simpson. Yeah, that's true. He was great on that show. Uh, but yeah, so Homer, finally the day comes, and uh, this is another just great misdirect in an episode full of them. Come on, come on, open up! <laughs> oh, that's just stuff. <laughs> now, I believe you have some sort of firearm for me? Well, let's see here. Uh, according to your background check, you've been in a mental institution. Yeah. Frequent problems with alcohol. Oh, yeah. You beat up President Bush. Former president. Potentially dangerous? Relax, that just limits you to three handguns or less. Woohoo! <laughs> three handguns or less. <laughs> yeah. uh, how weak was the Brady Bill at that point? Was it already uh, being it shredded apart? It was stronger yeah. than. I, I don't think the Brady Bill really got under, came under fire. But that's a weird way to say it. Uh, but I, I think it wasn't until the W administration that they were really able to start tearing it apart on, you know, assault, assault bans especially. Also, this background check gag is one of many Mike Scully era jokes that I really like where they would point out just how many episodes of the show have happened at this point. That is true. The whole background check thing that people, that people are sketched out about when it comes to buying a gun, it's like, have you ever rented an apartment? They practically <laughs> want a blood sample from you, you know? <laughs> and hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Homer brings his gun home. It starts the second he points a gun at Marge's face. Like, that should be the end of it. Like, that should be like, nope, this gun can't. You can't have this gun. You point it in my face. Like, I've heard gun lovers say like no no the rule is you never point a gun at something you don't want to shoot no matter how sure uh, unloaded it is which that's how incredibly irresponsible homer's being which again he shouldn't be able to buy three guns like yes. that's not what he should be able to especially do. with maggie in the house Oof, yeah. i would imagine that if you're the kind of like psychotic person who would go out and buy a gun wouldn't you like you know play with it a little wouldn't you like you know aim it at your kid and just sort of fantasize about it seems like the sort of thing a gun lover would do <laughs> i'm sorry that's a horrible thing to say apologies <laughs> to all the gun lovers listening. <laughs> we call them nuts here come uh, on i i also think i wonder if this uh marge opening her eyes to seeing a gun in her face which is a very funny visual uh is it a goodfellas reference is oh. it is a reference? Yeah, i thought that too actually they didn't mention that on the commentary but it could be right uh, i mean it's just so in the air the idea of like uh it just goodfellas everything reference goodfellas for most of the 90s i think mm -hmm. uh but yes here's here's the family having a really kind of all in the family conversation about guns okay open your eyes ah! hey it's a handgun isn't it great this is the trigger and this is the thing you point at whatever you want to die homer I don't want guns in my house. Don't you remember when Maggie shot Mr. Burns? I thought Smithers did it. That would have made a lot more sense. Hey, Dad, can I borrow the gun tomorrow? I want to scare that old security guard at the bank. Only if you clean your room. No! No one's using this gun. The TV said you're 58% more likely to shoot a family member than an intruder. TV said that? <laughs> but I have to have a gun. It's in the Constitution. Dad, the Second Amendment is just a remnant from Revolutionary Days. It has no meaning today. You couldn't be more wrong, Lisa. If I didn't have this gun, the King of England could just walk in here anytime he wants and start shoving you around. 
Do you want that? <laughs> huh? Do you? No. All right, then. <laughs> Homer is such an awful bully there to yeah. Lisa. I feel so She gets bad. one open palm shove. <laughs> Is this maybe the worst Homer has ever been up to this point? I can't think of another one. Yeah, actually, it's interesting that... I think the ice hockey one, he might be worse. He might be a little bit worse in that one, but I think in this episode... So this is Mike Scully's first production episode, the first one that he worked on as a showrunner. In this episode, Marge literally says, this is the worst thing you have ever done. (laughs) So that's starting off your run with a bang. (laughs) Literally. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow, wow, yeah. Well, I mean, so this is just a bunch of, like, gun statistics here, too. I, I like, in this episode, the closest they get to getting through to Homer is telling him TV said something, and he implicitly trusts television for all his information. <laughs> Though, apparently, when I looked it up here, it is, I couldn't find a matching percentage now of, like, how likely are you to do it. The closest I could find was, from a 2012 article, quote, guns are 22 times more likely to be used in an assault or homicide, an accidental shooting shooting or a suicide or attempted suicide if you own a gun so it's uh i mean statistically i it's something the simpsons also in the conversation about guns now that they don't cover in this because it wasn't what people were talking about then if you own a gun you are far more likely to use it on yourself than yeah. on an intruder not even a family member but just in in suicide like and it, it's so easy to put uh, to poke holes in the second amendment but it does nothing i mean yeah. second amendment was written by guys who were covered in bugs didn't wash their genitals very often own just, slaves yeah disgusting men <laughs> but you can't really say anything about it because it won't ever work <laughs> well yeah because you know if you go after the second amendment will they come after the first amendment like you know if you've if you've established the precedent of revoking that amendment <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate yes, here. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do think the Second Amendment should yeah. go. But, I mean, I think the First Amendment is pretty much just a formality here. It's mm-hmm. kind of already gone, so just get rid of the second one, too. Who needs I'm, it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll let a soldier stay in my house. Let's do that, too. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. No, I... Well, yeah, the second... I mean, when people argue about the first, uh, try to bring up the First Amendment with the second one, it's just like freedom of speech does not exist here. If you want to stay employed at a company, you can't be free with your speech on Twitter and say like, my company is full of assholes. Like, or I don't like this movie, maybe yeah. even that. Or also, and I and I really hate free speech being used by racist to just be like, I'm just speaking my mind. It's my right to say it. Like, fuck you. Like, so I hate that too. Uh, but the Second Amendment stuff, too, this, I mean, I, I had read uh, several articles about this somewhat recently, but how, like, using the Second Amendment as a pro-gun thing isn't even a all-the-way-back-in-American-history type thing. Mm. It's actually a political movement from rightward gun nuts starting more in the 70s. Like, in the 50s, racist, hateful Supreme Court judges still were just like, no, the Second Amendment doesn't apply to your handguns. But in the 70s, they were able, as a political movement, to push that the Second Amendment was all about handguns and personal gun ownership, uh. not about a state-run militia or anything like that. And that's just what it twisted into. I don't want to say this, it's, it would sound weird to say it gives me hope or something, but it does show you that these things that we take as core bedrocks of American politics was just created by a political group that pushed it really hard and it just became normal. And I would hope that the same thing could happen in the opposite direction of having more gun control that or other left leaning principles could come through 
if if the right could do it, then why not the left? And I know the answer is the Democrats are wusses, but mm-hmm. why why not? Well, well you, uh, there's no money in it. That's why not. That's yeah, it exactly. God damn Come it. on, Henry, get it you together. Know, we've established that personal responsible gun ownership is bad, but a well armed militia is good. Uh, that's the official stance of this podcast. Uh, yeah. We kind of are a militia of two. <laughs> Pro-militia. An unarmed is, militia. Uh, but actually, no. this episode comes right on the tail of things like Waco and Ruby Ridge and a lot of militia-style standoffs. Yeah. Oh, and the Oklahoma City bombing, too. That, too, yeah. yeah. That reading of the Second Amendment is a very, is a rather recent thing in American politics. And it's, I will say, there's an interesting episode. Uh, I previously mentioned the Gerard Carmichael show. They have a very living room discussion discussion about gun ownership with a family episode two in the first season of that that scully worked on that i think has a interesting like parallels with this scene here mm, too cool. uh but yeah it's uh but anyway so i i love dan's very real reaction of homer saying like you don't get it it's a, it's a tool like it very much sounds like a furrowed brow husband like let me explain to you again wife why yeah. i'm right kind of feel to it and they'll argue some more if he can't convince her <laughs> it's a great line Yes. We'll argue some more. Uh, And so they head off to the NRA. And uh, yes, this is a very, I mean, in 97, the NRA was already like, I, I feel like we, we talk about how we all had Michael Moore as like this early political force in our lives that informing us. And he, he definitely was no friend of the NRA, even before Bowling for Columbine. He identified them as a, you know, hard right political group that was trying to keep guns in as many hands as possible. That was before they had a TV network though. Holy shit. The, I it's mean, the like NRA, commanding people to kill journalists. They pretty literally much. are. Yeah. They're like, Oh, you're trying to censor us. We will stand up against you journalists at the New York times. Here's their home addresses. Yeah. I mean, they're just like the rest of the conservative movement where, you know, somewhere along the lines, they realized that, oh, yeah, we, we don't have to have any commitment to decorum at all. And in <laughs> fact, you know, decorum is holding us back. So, you know, just just embrace pure id. Yeah. yeah Dana Loesch ran at the camera. Yeah. Make yeah. threats. Why have Charlton Heston when you can have, yeah, a, a, a seething madman? <laughs> Multiple seething madmen just like literally giving like terrorist speeches to the camera about how they, if you try to take our guns, we will murder everyone we can. Like that's, it's, it, they want to be a terrifying force. They know fear is their thing and they've just kind of embraced it. The game is over. I mean, it's, there's no more pretend of, of respectability or civility. And, you know, honestly, like the NRA was smarter to recognize that than a lot of yeah, other political groups did but very savvy <laughs> well you know you say that but in springfield the nra crosses generations and class <laughs> it really uh, does I mean, and race know, uh, it, it's a place where mr burns and cletus and, <laughs> uh, and barney and principal skinner's mother they all they're all side by side you know <laughs> it's funny that this episode uh eventually wants you to think the nra is reasonable and they're the responsible gun owners but this scene sets up they're all maniacs yes <laughs> yeah. except for hibbert hibbert's like doesn't seem to have anything weird going on with him but like most Hibbert's a republican though we've established yeah, that already. that's true yeah, yeah. well and, and also this nra uh, bowling for combine was all about how crazy the nra is but they really, I think they entered into their final form once we had a black president. Yes. Once, like yes, yes. that, that really turned the key of like, oh, the, the, the mask is off. We are, we are a virulently racist group. Like that is what we're supposed to be. And, and Trayvon Martin also. Whoo, yes. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, well, and again, the race, 
gun laws in America too, uh, an aspect a lot of people don't think about at first when you think like, oh, we need more gun control is of just, even if there were laws on the books, like most laws in America, they would be disproportionately used against non-white people and enforced on them anyway. So it's, you kind of have to, you, if you wanted to introduce new gun control laws, you also need to get away from how they would be obviously racialized mm-hmm. or how there have been multiple murdered people by the police had their rights to have a gun and a cop shot them anyway. Yeah, yeah. And the NRA didn't say shit because the guy was black. If he was white, that would have been the story. Like if any of those victims were white, it would have been the thing NRA would talk about for the next five years. Every grifter would be on that immediately. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yes, uh, also they talk about assault rifles, which are, they are still quite controversial now. I'm I'm pretty sure all they are predominantly used in every major massacre that happens in America. It's usually the AR-15. And like Lenny, people have the flimsiest of excuses as to why they need an assault <laughs> rifle. Yeah, which other than I want to shoot 600 people at once, like that's that's really why. Lenny's also violent. He set off that riot for the most part. <laughs> hey, yeah. The, I don't again. know if your home is invaded by 600 looters. <laughs> you know, what else would do the job? Or electric eels. Yes. <laughs> Homer, Homer, though, loves the NRA. Uh, hi, I'm Mo S. Hi, Mo. Yeah, so last night I was closing up the bar when some young punk comes in and tries to stick me up. <gasps> Whatever did you do, Mo? Well, it could have been a real ugly situation, but I managed to shoot him in the spine. Yeah, I guess the next place he robs better have a ramp. Hi, <laughs> I'm Homer S. Hi, Homer. Hi. It seems to me if a gun can protect something as important as a bar, it's good enough to protect my family. So if you'll have me, I would like to become a lifetime member of your wonderful organization. You can't join up with these gun nuts. Oh, come on. Be fair, Marge. For once in your life, be fair. <laughs> so the history of guns in The Simpsons. Uh, so as we all know, Bart is a lifetime NRA member. Oh, that's Unky, right. Unky Herb got him that Yeah, that's... As, a, as a going away present. <laughs> also, I believe Homer had a gun twice before. Uh, once was when Boogeymen... We're in the house. Oh, yes, in the gambling episode. Yes. Gambler episode. And also in the episode where uh, Surly Joe fixed their flooded basement, he was going to give Homer a washer for free. He's like, I got one in my van. And he said, Marge, get my gun. <laughs> but we don't see the gun, though. True, but yes, true. I, I guess in those cases, neither are handguns, though. So this is, it's a new purchase for Homer to have a handgun. But yeah, he's, he's used guns a number of times. Yeah. Oh, and... The uh, I just remembered another one. When they were a vigilante gang, they oh, all right. were standing around with shotguns, including Bart with one. There's, there's plenty of uh, jokes about gun misuse on The Simpsons. <laughs> and uh, I think, though, it's a very real moment of the NRA laughing at the crippling of a person. I think that, yeah. that's very realistic. It could have been a messy situation, but I shot him in the spine. It's a great line. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then we go to the shooting range. And again, when Homer shoots all those soda cans, that should be when the NRA says, you are irresponsible. You should not be. He's a monster. Take his guns away right now. Right there. But uh, but then again, I mean, Agnes is throwing a grenade at a shooting range. So uh, they're, they're making a lot of exceptions. The squeaky voice teen is expendable in these people's <laughs> eyes. And then Homer's sociopathic tendencies reach an appalling new low in the next scene. Oh, yes. Yeah. This, uh, this moment with the quickie mart, it's more in animation, but I still, I love Homer's reaction to it here. 
Don't shoot. Just take the money and get out. What? Oh, Apu, I would never. Or would I? Mm-hmm. I've already gone this far. I wonder what my life would be like if I robbed the quickie mart. I'll do it. I'll rob the quickie mart. All right, put your... <laughs> Don't! Oh, well. I'll rob it next time. That's a great uh, reveal. <laughs> also, what I'm is laughing he... just hearing it again. I think this may be one of my favorite jokes in all of Simpsons. <laughs> there are two jokes in this episode where Homer is thinking too long about something as he leaves. Oh, the, yeah. the muttering scene and this. Uh, but then he was able to just buy a hot dog and walk away and start his car yeah. during a blackout. Too. <laughs> That's pretty great. And, and the reveal of the zoom out to reveal he's in the car. Uh, if you pause it and look too closely at it, you see they have to draw the car in a completely... Yeah long way like it's so huge but i don't care the joke is worth it he looks extra dopey eating that hot dog for whatever reason it's great there's a great level of detail on that hot dog too it's like some of the best drawings they've had of a hot dog in the show uh in poor i mean well speaking of post-traumatic stress it's poor apu in in universe he has been held up and shot i think seven times at this point yeah and uh yes homer's imagination of what it would be like if he robbed a quickie mart is marge being a go-go dancer and him just twirling his gun on a mansion. Is he a senator? Is that what he has? Like a oh, sash yes, on or yeah. something? Yeah, he's a senator now. Uh, and so, yeah, we see Homer just walking around everywhere with his gun, and which would seem parodic or satirical if like we hadn't seen dozens of stories of the sad man who goes with his AR-15 to Walmart. To Chipotle. And, yeah. And... All the open carry cr- uh, nutcases, like uh, if I may be judgmental on them. <laughs> but, you may. <laughs> I mean, you're trying to spread fear, ultimately, I think. Yeah. You should be judged. Well, it's also showing off that like, they won't shoot me. Like if no, a non-white person couldn't walk around oh, with for a sure. yeah. like that. So. And something this episode also gets at is like a lot of it is you know uh these people see like dirty harry or action movies and they fantasize about like oh what if i could live the cliche of an action movie (laughs) yeah you know what actually dirty harry has a huge influence on this episode too i think especially not just in homer's choice of gun which is the you know classic sexy giant revolver not the then current more like nine millimeter or whatever yeah was the cheaper gun and one two homer shooting the dinner plate is just it's not it's a it's a see you in hell (laughs) uh dirty harry you know is quite a film to watch now and think about how many like cops over time it just at the time saw it as just like yeah i'm the only guy who knows knows what these hippies really want to do i'll show them <laughs> it should be noted in the second dirty harry film he fights dirty cops in it so i think oh. that was them trying to be like okay all right we went too far in the last yeah. one the cops are the bad guys now in the third and fourth the pendulum kind of swings back the other direction again oh yeah i, f- I forget i I just remember his partners from three and four. I do not remember the the villains. Why did you never team up with Death Wish? <laughs> <laughs> Death Wish could like Death Wish is too cheap for for Clint. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Dirty Harry was more of a prestige brand compared to that, um, <laughs> which is too bad because I think Death Wish three really gives you like your your bang for your buck, so to speak, uh, more than even all the Dirty Harry movies do. Yes, yeah. If you if you've imagined of just killing minorities in a, a jungle uh concrete jungle God. you get that in death wish 3 with so many death wish movies you'd think the first one would at least have some credibility in a point but n- not really no. no i mean they get worse from there but even the first one was just like yeah 
taking a clean up the streets. <laughs> Homer shoots his way around the house, blasting things until uh, we get to a, a tense dinner scene where uh, I don't have the clip of the audio for it, but just the many times Homer shoots a photo of Marge is, is very funny. And apparently that kind of revolver does not have a safety. <laughs> yeah, actually. So uh, I don't know what he's doing. That's well, why it keeps going off. Yeah, he's tapping what he thinks is a safety and it's just the uh, just cocking it again to fire one more time. Though even Lisa has to admit it was pretty cool, his accidental gun stunt. But I, I would think if uh, my dad accidentally fired a gun at the dinner table the first time, I would run away. Yeah, yeah. But they're all pretty inert they, to Those Homer kids should be deafened. <laughs> also that. Yeah. Guns are loud. I don't know if we said that yet. They're really loud. Uh, and he, you don't even need a loudener for it. <laughs> they just come too far for Marge now. No offense, Bob, but that was pretty cool. Homer, I think you'd agree that I've put up with a lot in this marriage. But this is the first time since we've been married that I've actually feared for our lives. So I'm asking you, if you really care about me and the children, please, please get rid of the gun. All right, Marge. I'll do it. For you. I'm a lucky woman. And I'm a wonderful man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Homer's so awful. (laughs) He's just so bad here. Uh, And I also, another of my favorite visuals in the episode is Homer's prideful tapping of his chest with the gun. Yeah. The way he uses the gun to gesture at things, to point at them, including himself, it's really, really cool. It it basically never leaves his hand once he buys (laughs) it. It's an extension of his hand after that point. And also Homer saying, like, I'm a wonderful man is just like, it's just, it's further like, Homer, you just, you just don't get it. I, As a Simpsons fan, I have to point out, though, the dinner table and the breakfast table are different tables. Yeah. They're very, they never eat breakfast at the dinner table in the dining room. I've never yeah, seen it in the show you're so right. far. right. Yep. Sorry. Sorry, Mike Scully. <laughs> Off to a bad start already. <laughs> it felt like a very real life home thing of the mother saying to the father like i bet you know you would say i've put up with a lot and just him trying to correct and then seeing the kids go like do you yeah I hope you're wrong even the kids know better <laughs> gotta drop it like uh-huh. <laughs> it's important to remember in any relationship like to know when to not argue a point <laughs> homer says he gets rid of the gun and uh then we get again this scene also feels it is a necessary scene to show how irresponsible the gun use is but it also feels like post Post Columbine has seen Fox would not allow on oh, the channel. Oh, for sure, yeah. For sure. It's, it's very imitatable. Uh, uh, I don't feel them. You said there'd be fudgicles, Bart. Where's the fudgicles? First, it's fudge sickle, and I know they're up here. I just need a better foothold. Hello. And the next marksman is William Tell Jr. Jinx. <gasps> Bart! Oh, I see Bart gets to have a gun. You lied <laughs> to me. So I think Homer should have gotten one of those things I've seen gift on the internet a lot of uh, the hollowed out headboard where you lean back and the shotgun drops <laughs> down into your hands. 
There's got to be one of those for a handgun, I think. That seems pretty useful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, when somebody breaks into your bedroom, like, ah, you think you got me. Though I would still think, like, I don't know, you take a lot of practice to be, like, in one solid motion, gun, got, blam. To also like, be wake up in that time period, too. <laughs> yes, also that. <laughs> Two, Homer not say, putting away his gun correctly into, like, a safe or whatever. That's very, very Homer. He's not going to buy a safe. That's expensive. And Bart's game can only end with Milhouse getting his head blown off. That's what I love. I love the, like, yeah. doesn't even put it on his head. And Milhouse jinxes him, too. Jeez. <laughs> Which way does I, that? I think everything about this gag rings horrifyingly true. Yeah, that's also the problem with it is that it is like this really happens a lot, like more than it should in America yeah. of a child finding a gun and then thinking like, well, this is a toy from TV. I have a gun. There was some blog. I think they still do. Maybe it's like Wonkat or something like that, where they have like a running tally of amount of like child murders, not murders of children, but murders committed by children who find guns. And it's always a surprisingly high number every year. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, like, I'm going to play Bang Bang with Daddy. Oops, Daddy's gone now. Yeah, exactly. Well, you just find it, like, as a child, you don't understand the point of it. And it's just like, well, but if you lock it in a safe, then what's the point of having this gun? And then you're going to open up your safe when the when the when uh, your imagined burglar breaks into your house. Like, then you got to open your safe for it. It's it's a catch-22 if you're that afraid of things. But yeah, that's uh, it's it's hilarious to see Bart shoot it, uh, about to shoot Millhouse, but it's also so horrifying yeah. and dark. Also, I, I swear, right before this episode aired as a kid, I had had the how to pronounce fudge sickles with, uh, argument with friends, I swear. I swear. I don't like fudge sickles. Uh, it's the cheapest chocolate. Oh, It's yes. like mocklet. It's like whatever they make you <laughs> you who out of. Yeah, it tastes like yeah, that. It's yeah. like, that's not chocolate. Pudding Pops is where it's at, despite the Bill Cosby connection. Yeah, well, you can't buy those anymore, though, so no. you're just down to fudge sickles. Government took them away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think they just folded out of shame with uh, Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I'm, I'm pro-fudge sickle these days only because they're like 40 calories, so if you want oh, something cold and chocolatey that... that technically tells your brain you're eating ice cream then uh then it's an it's a better diet choice of others you could make will do they have fudgicles uh, fudge sickles up <laughs> in canada oh goodness you know i'm actually not sure i know that there are many varieties of ice cream related treat that you can have up here but you know i'm not i'm not certain I'm sorry. I'm such a terrible Canadian correspondent. <laughs> in the Bay Area, we have uh, It's It's, which are mm. uh, an ice cream sandwich made out of cookies. And I'm sure it's 1,200 calories. <laughs> easily, <laughs> easily. So, well, then they cover it in chocolate, too. So oh, that's true. I've had one of them, and that was uh, enough <laughs> calories until now. I'm good. <laughs> Time to eat again. Homer has crossed a line for Marge in this moment. How could you? Of all the terrible things you've ever done in your life, this is the worst, the most despicable. But Marge, I swear to you, I never thought you'd find out. <laughs> Until you decide what's more important, your gun or your family, we can't live in the same house. Come on, kids. So this is the thanks I get for protecting my family? Then go. I'll be just fine. Do you know how to cook dinner? Do I? <laughs> 
That's great. I want to know if Milhouse's dinner was any good. Yeah, I wonder. I have used that response to a lot of things. I love it so much. It's the overly excited, do I? I also think the timing is perfect on that joke where it lingers just long enough to watch him like get on his knees and take all the pots out. Yeah, and the fact that Milhouse was there for that entire scene. That's my favorite kind of joke, and it's been done a lot. But just the reveal that someone was also there during a very tense scene, it's a great it's a great comedic device. I love yeah, it. Yeah, and just this energy for pulling out all the pl- pans, which shows like he's got a plan. Yeah. Milhouse knows exactly he knows, what he wants to make. He knows what he's making. Oh, Homer's in for a treat. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Bob, this is this is where you start with Homer being told like this is the worst thing you've ever done. Yeah, it's like it's what they had to do for the movie too. It's just yeah. like let's bring Homer to his lowest. But I don't even think the movie was the worst thing he's ever done, despite putting the entire town in danger. <laughs> well, then Homer just directly lied to her, and then also he's too stupid to have a good there. You know, there's better gaslighting lies, but Homer's too dumb to say it. So instead, he just says, uh, "I never thought you'd find out." Like. <laughs> which is honest he's like uh and uh, yeah the vegetable crisper too that also feels like a very homer thought of well i never look in here for vegetables who else would open this it's important that that uh vegetable crisper was a stepping stool for bart and millhouse yes yeah uh so we start the next act uh marge is taking the kids to selma's place and we get to see selma tell them to go to the uh, sleep easy motel and I suppose it is implied that Selma is holding this man hostage. It is, it is the beginning of a porno movie of that era. Ooh, it's a kind yeah. of a hunky guy's like, oh, yeah. this TV is just unplugged. <laughs> I like anything that shows Selma as like a sexual being. Mm-hmm. I do like that. Instead <laughs> of making her just like disgusting or like the hairy, gross yeah. woman. I think she's wearing her Halloween yeah. costume oh, that entered yes. regular rotation. <laughs> it's a bit peppery. <laughs> Homer, meanwhile, is hosting the NRA meeting, which uh, this is another of my just favorite. It's a little moment, but Moe's line here about Oreos is great. Uh, yeah. The gun club's going to be here any minute. Ah! They're here. They're here. Hiya, Homer. I brung you a big bag of irregular Oreos. I don't see what's wrong with this one. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> there was a, when I was on the internet back in the day, when this episode aired, I was reading the news groups and there was a lot of argument over what was wrong with the Oreos. But I think the joke is you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's whatever your mind wants it to be. But Mo I, can't even afford to bring Oreos. Just irregular Oreos. And while I, that's a very like r- great observation that sometimes you look at food and you think like this looks good. <laughs> One bite, like oh, oh no, oh. what's the? And it fits in with Mo's kind of how should I put it? his cheap and ugly brand that of course as his as his potluck food he would bring not just Oreos but also irregular <laughs> Oreos cheap as possible. They're just called Hydrox. <laughs> well, they're also like beat up and in a brown bag. paper bag so he just like shoved like probably brushed them all off in one hand motion off of like a table in his house into the bag. Uh, when they arrive at the Sleep Easy slash Sleazy Motel it's a funny little moment of Bar- I just like Bart saying to the sex workers like I certainly am. Yeah. And it's a very well-designed sleaze bag motel too. Mm-hmm. I've seen it in a lot of like Simpsons games after this too. 
it's a great like two story open area motel. I mean, I, I stayed in one just like that. Well, actually not that sleazy, but size and scale wise, very similar. Just like uh, when I stayed in Long Beach a couple years ago. How many corpses were in the pool? Uh, none that I saw, though I didn't check out the pool. I mean, you're in Long Beach. The beach is right there. Who needs a pool? Yeah. Like. Something I forget about The Simpsons as an adult is like when I was a kid, part of the novelty of the show was that it was a little bit grown up and it was a show where like people could conceivably have sex, you know, just (laughs) off screen. Mm. But it was a cartoon show, you know, (laughs) it was it was you didn't see many uh, sex worker jokes in uh, in other cartoons. Quimby was pulling the electorate in this episode, as I believe Lou said. (laughs) Uh, And yeah, we get to see Homer more of Homer's NRA here. This is when it gets to be a very both sides. uh, Like, let's let's make the NRA responsible, which is just like. Never in Springfield is anyone responsible, certainly not in this position. And they've already been proven to be irresponsible. Yeah. So this speech here feels very much like carrying water for the NRA to be like, well, yeah. they're not all that bad. Moe's super gun that he builds is a very NRA thing. This is modifying guns to be more deadly in a more ridiculous way, but not that different from reality. Uh, but yes, here's Homer shocking the NRA. Here's some more chocolate curls, gun buddy. Anyone else want a beer? (gasps) You use your gun as a can opener? I use it for everything. Watch me turn on the TV. I love that. I've never seen such recklessness. You might have hurt someone. Are you some kind of moron? Yeah, but... Hey, yachts, guns aren't toys. They're for family protection, hunting dangerous or delicious animals, and keeping the King of England out of your face. Your membership card, please, Homer. Oh. I'll also need to remove your tattoo. I didn't get one yet. (laughs) Rats. Now, since you're no longer a member, please go outside until the meeting is over. (laughs) Such weird music. I love that bad party music. Yeah. That's great. I just like so obviously there are some funny jokes in there, but I mean, I think it just doesn't really work like even on its own terms because the whole episode up to this point has been satirizing the NRA. And, and then you find out, oh, well, actually, uh, these things that Homer does are isolated incidents and are in yeah. no way indicative of the fine membership of the fine responsible membership of the NRA. And it kind of takes the rug out from under you and it's disappointing. They don't cluck their tongues at Mo turning his gun into five guns or mm-hmm. his five guns in the one gun rather. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- that's normal to them, but like shooting your TV to turn it on like that's like oh that's too crazy which also like the NRA well they certainly aren't saying you shouldn't have a gun to Homer either that's not their yeah. they're saying I this. mean ultimately I don't think they earned this scene uh, no. but it is very much of this time this this sort of commentary mm-hmm. totally it's it's the idea of being I mean I remember uh, yeah I don't I don't want to just beat up on Aaron Sorkin but in in political things like that they just feel like well it's not fair if you take too much of one side or the other so you have to show the nra is is good too or does good things too i feel now it's just like who fucking says we have to do that like they suck and also like even though the simpsons is sort of like a liberalist show like it it wasn't a show at this point that i think was really known for taking strong political stances 
perhaps they would have regarded a fiercely NRA episode as sort of antithetical to, you know, their their spirit. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see them feeling that internally for sure. Yeah. But I'd say, why do the episode if you're going to end <laughs> it like this? I think uh, of this time period, the only episode I can think of with a real strong political stance is Much of Pooh About Nothing, right. where they never said like, oh, this is the good kind of immigrant or this is the right way to become a citizen. They all they looked at de- deportation as distracting from a real problem mm. or being a distraction from, you know, things the government doesn't want to deal with, just scapegoating a group of people. But there was never a, some immigrants are bad kind of commentary. I They're, feel like yeah. this is like the centristy South Park era we're entering in pop culture where South Park is in its first season right now too. It is, where yes. it's like, you decide what the message is. We're too lazy to have a strong argument. <laughs> Which uh, the Michael and us episode of South Park, uh, yeah, do all of episodes you guys did. I yeah. really enjoy those by the way. I'd love oh, to see more. Yeah. Honestly, you guys could do this show for like at least a hundred episodes of South Park, I would think. they survive? <laughs> I would be interested in returning to the South Park well because I mean I've heard various reports about what it's like now, and it, I, I'm just curious how South Park exists in this current political reality. I like, th- like, can they both sides everything? I think they've uh, been explicitly backing away from politics a little bit, though. Well, I will, which s- is good, good for them because they've tainted it for the past twenty years. I haven't watched the last season of the show, but I have heard this is a compliment. I'm going to give South Park. They did an episode where they, the characters, and they themselves directly apologized to Al Gore for Man Bear Pig because they're like, "Oh, this is real. We're sorry. We're sorry." <laughs> oh, which like, hey, at least you fucking said it, but. You had 20 years of just saying, like, no, this stuff isn't real. I'd like an entire season of Mia Culpas, basically, from (laughs) South Park. Just like, we were wrong about this and this and also this. I think ultimately part of their shtick is doing knee-jerk reactions to things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And often when you do that and don't think about it, uh, you can get things wrong. Um, Yeah, but they're also, they they are, like, conservative also. That too. I mean, Reaction is always reactionary I've heard. Uh, except on certain issues like you know they're they're for free speech back when that was something that was considered a, a liberal or leftish issue mm-hmm. yeah so enough things like that to make them just and they swear so <laughs> yeah i've heard an interview with matt stone where he's very open about this that he's like when where they grew up in colorado they were the punk rock guys and that was being against the establishment as kids or teens and the establishment there were good old boys and conservatism and then they moved to hollywood and they're surrounded by limousine liberals and just all these like lefties and so if they still want to be against a society they live in and be the opposite to that and antagonistic of it then they have to go to the right on things so you're saying it's empty iconoclasm pretty much okay i thought so Uh, but okay, so we head back to the sleazy hotel. We do get some nice, nice jokes about a gross hotel. Hey, we got a pool. Can we go swimming, Mom? Mm, not right now, dear. Wow, the TV's coin-operated. And so is the Bible. I'd like to order a wake-up call, please. 3 a.m. Up for every room except this one. That's right. Good night. <laughs> Always love trying out new material on the road. Mm-hmm. No way are you going to beat me this time, Lise. Yes, I am. Come on, Spotty. Come on, Smelly. 
A lot of good crappy hotel jokes. Yeah. I love the coin-operated Bible. <laughs> it's a snapshot. Uh, very violently, just snaps. Yeah. Yeah. I want better free books in my hotel room that I won't read. <laughs> well, Give me the, a copy of like The Grapes of Wrath or something in there. Do you get moving beds anymore places? I feel like you can't. Or coin-operated TVs, I think now. Well, now with, I actually, I guess in hotels now, they have to recognize that. Uh, you have your TV in your hand all the time and also your porn machine. So yeah. what can they sell you off a television that you can't get on your phone? Yeah, you know, possibly I'm uh, staying at the wrong hotels, but <laughs> I don't think I have ever encountered a vibrating bed. They were called Magic Fingers. It was sort of your go-to cheap hotel joke for about 20, 25 years. Yes, yeah, which I feel like comes from, like the same places, Bart's joke about trying new material on the road is comedians yeah. traveling around and staying in the dingiest of hotels uh, and, and contemplating suicide while there. Uh, man, I think that's one of the first corpses we've seen on The Simpsons, too. Mm, maybe. It could be. At least one of. Outside of a Treehouse episode, I should qualify. What about Frank Grimes? Mm, you don't see his corpse. Yeah, you he was still it. living in the last few frames we saw him. Yes, Technically, yeah. his heart was still beating. <laughs> Homer sadly shooting out all the lights in the house is a really funny scene. I love how long it takes. Yeah, it's just a- like Walking to every light, matter-of-factly shooting at it. <laughs> and just the single frame of it, too. It doesn't cut around it. It's just Homer's just blank, ex- sad expression as he shoots every light. <laughs> Homer realizes he needs his family. He heads to the hotel, which is the motel, which also, like, Marge is guarding the door like she's in a zombie film. It feels a bit great. like Night of the Hunter to me. Mm-hmm. The old woman guarding the children before yeah. Robert Mitchum can get them. But she's got a shotgun, and Marge is like a <laughs> plank of wood. Well, it would be, it would be against the message of this episode if March had a shotgun there. She had a surgical two by four. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm sorry. Are you planning to stay the whole night? Yes. All right. Vote Quimmy. Marge? Sorry. Marge? Oh, sorry. Marge? Vote Quimby. Sorry. Down here, Homer. Oh, Marge! There's so many things I want to yell to you. Come down here. Okay. (laughs) Oh, honey, please come home. I need you. It's dark in the house, and I'm hungry and lonesome, and there's no one there to hear my various witty remarks. (laughs) What about the gun? It's gone for good, Marge. I finally realized what's the point of having a gun for protection if you've got no one to protect. Oh, homie. This feels like a very Scully thing, too, of multiple fake-outs. He gives you two heartfelt, treacly yeah. sitcom endings in this episode. He gives up the gun twice. <laughs> in basically the same scene. <laughs> and both are lies. I do find that funny. And I think it's a shame that the second fake-out is like the NRA members heroically coming and saving Homer and Marge. Mm, yeah, it's it undercuts it. Homer should pay more of a price for this lie to his family, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just continues the kind of incoherence to the satire of this of this episode. Well, I think uh, I believe it's on the commentary. Mike Scully just outright says, like, if we take a stance, it's that a man like Homer shouldn't have a gun. Yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's as far out as they're going to go. They won't even say, like, well, then shouldn't there be laws to check who's a person like Homer? You already yeah. said this. There's not the enough time yeah. for that. It's <laughs> 22 minutes of jokes. Uh, well, I mean, if the episode ended with Homer saying, like, well, then let's start calling our congressman, like, that would seem weird, too, I suppose. And then, like, a PSA with Bart. Like, hey, man, <laughs> here's a 1-800 number. 
<laughs> I guess. Um, although, you know, far be it for me to tell uh, a writer's room full of like, you know, genius Simpsons writers how to tell their, sh- how to, how to do their show. But I think it would make more sense if like it committed to the bit of this NRA guy, this gun owner just being a catastrophe until eventually his gun is taken away from him. <laughs> yeah. You know, this could have ended with like him being arrested at some point too. Yeah. Or like, you know, if the other NRA members, I think it would frankly be funnier if like when we first see the NRA introduced, it's basically Alcoholics Anonymous, like <laughs> the support group. Yeah, um, I have to say. And, like the, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, wait, actually, they're very competent and reasonable gun owners. And I think it would have been funnier, frankly, if it had committed to the bit of this is a group for uh, frustrated and impotent gun nuts. <laughs> That's true. I think uh, we mentioned King of the Hill earlier with Tom Petty. I, I think Dale Gribble and his gun club was a much better commentary on gun owners and mm. gun usage and the gun culture of especially the South. <laughs> yeah, actually, when we talk about the NRA stance on this too, like this scene with Homer is kind of the the NRA fantasizes about happening every single day of the good guy with a gun saving the day here. All right, everybody, hands up. You give me the cast drawer. Do what he says. I'm too rich to die. Three, bad guy. Vote Quimby. <laughs> okay, man, don't shoot. Chill. Homer, you said you got rid of the gun. You lied to me. Again. I know I said that, but what I secretly meant was... Yoink! <laughs> <laughs> the joke's on you, buddy. There's no bullets in that thing. <laughs> Yo, give me the bullets. Okay, don't shoot. Drop Drop it. Homer giving him the gun, uh, giving him the bullets that he, because of unloading gun is pointing at him. That's funny. That's a good, that's a good little, good little gag. Uh, There's one thing that was cut from this episode was never meant to air. And uh, so she gets her continental breakfast in the envelope, right? Mm. When she gets her bill, Um, which is a great joke. Uh, so animated and voiced by Julie Kavner and just put in the color screening as a joke for all the writers. So Julie Kavner recorded these lines. And when she's looking at the bill, she says, I didn't order a blow job. <laughs> and I swear to God, Mike Scully mentions this on the commentary. He says, I didn't order an insert sexual act here, but I've, I've seen this and I've heard it somewhere. So I want to try to sneak this into this episode too. Oh, wow. This footage is online somewhere, but it was just a joke for all the writers. They knew they could never put it in. They probably spent thousands of dollars just animating that. That sentence. Uh, just, I didn't order a blowjob. Just for a laugh. That's yeah. great. I love that. I, uh, you know, I'm sad Sleazy Motel Manager never came back as a regular character. I have to think his nagging cough killed him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But he's, though I suppose they have enough, like, low-life dudes. He's He just kind of They've got Snake, they've got Cletus, you know. This Bronson guy would guy. kind of Yeah, they, this guy would kind of just repeat those jokes, I suppose. Uh, but just the way that egg slides into the oh <laughs> god. You see so, the grease seeping through. Egg jokes disgust me. I or just You're not an egg fan? Uh, the drier the better. Those eggs got to be pretty dry if I'm going to have them. I don't know. I do not like my eggs runny <laughs> at all. But I visited Japan. They love they they do their they do their scrambled eggs more like the French style of just mm. runnier and I I, I got to say in my adult life I became a fan of the runny egg. No. They're good for dipping. Boo. You get a nice little sauce you dip Ugh. stuff in. It's great. Will uh, what's your what's your stance on this? I like many different varieties of egg. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I'm sorry if that's a wishy-washy answer. <laughs> For all your listeners, this is not an unrelated tangent. This is related to the episode. I yeah, want no complaints. It's about the egg. <laughs> yes. We need all of our egg opinions out there publicly. 
they got those eight counts of creeps got to you too, Bob. Oh no! <laughs> oh boy! All right, but so we have the end of the episode where the NRA saves the day, and I at least do like that the NRA kind of they save the day, but no, they don't stop him. I do like. Why that. didn't Mo shoot that guy in the spine? Yeah, honestly, this this also feels unrealistic in that if the NRA actually got to really point a gun at a real person with a gun to stop them from doing something, I feel like they would shoot him eight hundred times. He'd just be red mist floating through the air. <laughs> Boy! How did you know we were being robbed? The clerk here pressed the silent alarm and we picked it up on our scanner. Did anyone stop that robber? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I lied to you, Marge, but this gun had a hold on me. I felt this incredible surge of power like God must feel when he's holding a gun. So please, get rid of it because I know I'll just lie to you again and again. And Homer hands the gun over to Marge, and then she did. It's, it's all visual, so I didn't have the clip in there. But yeah, Marge, Marge then sees herself with a gun, and she also feels like God holding a gun. Yeah, and there's a little sound cue from the Avengers at the end. I did not know that yeah. until this uh, research. Uh, yeah. In the commentary. The Avengers TV show. TV show, right. So not the uh, superhero Avengers like you're thinking of. We're talking about Emma, Emma Peel, I believe. Yes, yeah. Yes. The, the Avengers Americans don't care about. Yes, but um, <laughs> so uh, Mike Scully thought it'd be a funny idea. The, he just thought of that sound cue in his head. But then when he saw it, he hated it. So he says whenever he watches this, he hates that scene. Because <laughs> they couldn't undo it. They're like, well, we recorded it and it's too late. There's no budget to record another yeah. thing. Uh, but- I think it works. I think it's, uh, you know, not not knowing the TV show well and not knowing where the music came from. I think something about the music communicates the sentiment very well. I think so too, yeah. And I think the ending is pretty good because, you know, I would imagine there's something kind of intoxicating about holding a gun. You know, holding something that has the ability to kill a person. Uh, and, and having that power, I would imagine, is a bit intoxicating. I know people did not like this scene for the most part and that it kind of sells out Marge a bit, but it, mm. I think the point is clear that this is so intoxicating, even Marge is susceptible. Yeah, I suppose it sells out Marge just a little bit, but she's human. I'd rather yeah. her be interesting like that with a flaw than just be the nagging wife all the time. As she, Marge barely gets to be funny in this one because she just has to be rightly disappointed the scold, in Homer the yeah. t- whole time. Yeah. And it's a danger with writing Marge that she can just become a scold so easily. Mm -hmm. This episode, I I'm I'm glad we got to it and could give an extra political reading to it. I suppose I I think uh, it parts of it hold up, but also is a real really crystallized for its time in the gun control conversation. And uh, you know, if it was made now, it would not be this episode even a little bit, and it probably wouldn't even be made now. They definitely wouldn't make it. I mean, like I, I put my thoughts up front, but after all of the gun violence to happen after this episode and after encountering some level of gun violence myself i i just feel like it's funny i like it but it is very dated but yeah it's also 22 years old but <laughs> i think we've learned a lot at least i hope we have since this episode aired and some of the points it makes are good but it also undercuts some of those points as well by trying to have it on both sides mm-hmm I agree with everything you said, and I would just add that the episode is valuable, if nothing else, for having introduced that I'll rob the quickie mark yes. game, which I think about every day. There are some great <laughs> reveals. That and Millhouse being in the kitchen are hilarious reveals, or you're surprised. It's a very funny episode. We'll probably be saying this a lot during season nine, but people people regard season nine as where it all goes wrong or something, but this is a really funny episode. They're still yes. going strong here. You should not stop listening to our podcast, and no. you should not stop giving us money. <laughs> Never. We need that money to eat. 
We're not Guys, eating the money. Come back when you get to like season seventeen or eighteen. I'm very curious what it would be like. <laughs> I, want, I think we're going to surprise a lot of our guests in the future with episodes they haven't seen. I want I want fresh reactions <laughs> because I'll be good up until around nineteen, having seen everything up until season nineteen. I think so. I'm sure we'll have you back before then, Will. If you'd like yes. to come back, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. I love oh, having you as a guest. Well, and Will, what's your uh, what's your info? Where can people find you and listen to you? Uh, well, I have two podcasts: the aforementioned Michael and Us, and also my film history podcast, The Important Cinema Club. And I'm on Twitter at Will Sloan ESQ. And uh, I know you're a big Jackie Chan fan. How oh. are, how are you feeling about the police story finally getting the Criterion Collection treatment it deserves? You know. I'm I'm very glad that it's there. Uh, you know, you know, it's ridiculous. There's a small part of me that is sad now that the normies are discovering it. <laughs> you know, it used to be my movie that I watched when I was a teenager. But, you know, if you love something, you have to let it free. <laughs> and everybody should see Police Story. I, I do agree in the 90s. Well, so I, I'd be a poser if I act like I watched a Jackie Chan movie before Rumble in the Bronx. <laughs> I know I did. But when I finally started going, after I saw Rumble in the Bronx and watched his older stuff, I did like the kind of superiority I could feel of just like, you guys haven't even seen Police Story mm-hmm. or Armor of God, the real first Armor of God. I've seen Police Academy. Is that similar? <laughs> <laughs> no, not so much. Aww. And I mean, Police Story is very enjoyable to watch now that, I, I mean, things gain interesting new resonances depending on what time you see them. And now that all the action movies are like superhero movies um, and, and there's so much CGI in them, I sound like an old man complaining about this. <laughs> I'm simply stating the facts. There's a lot of CGI in them. The fact that Police Story is such a down and dirty movie where you know there, there's a lot of weight to the action scenes and people are truly getting hurt and thrown around in them. It's it's very exciting to watch these days. When I rewatched the final bat fight scene recently, it you know, I had that same kind of feeling of just like there I you can throw all this money in CGI and it does look amazing. I I love a Marvel film more than more than my co-host definitely <laughs> does. But Henry's glaring at me. When but when I see just the simple, seemingly like low budget thing of Jackie Chan getting punched in his head, going through glass and then pulling his head back out in pain. I'm like, that is more exciting to me than any Spider-Man jumping around thing I've been seeing lately. I agree. And all they needed to accomplish that was like a barbaric Hong Kong film industry <laughs> where life was cheap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if only we could recreate that. And a man raised yeah. in circus torture. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, it's sad, isn't it? More circus torture. Yeah. They'll forge better movie stars. Uh, but thanks okay. so much for being on the show, Will. Oh, thanks again for having yes. me. It was a great pleasure. Thanks again to Will Sloan. Check out his podcast, Michael and Us. It's very lefty commentary on pop culture, including all of Michael Moore's movies. They've moved on since then to do things like, again, PCU, South Park, and all kinds of other stuff. A and recent Simpsons episode. Yeah, and, and where they name-dropped us, so thank you so much. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah. we'll have uh, his co-host, Luke Savage, on at some point again in the future. Oh, yes, yeah. But if you'd like to hear his previous episode, he did uh, Mountain of Madness yeah. back in season eight. That was so long ago, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, but as for us, we are part of the Talking Simpsons Network. Network. And if you want to support the show and get all kinds of bonus podcasts on top of that, please go to patreon.com 
slash Talking Simpsons. If you sign up at the $5 level, you can get all kinds of bonus stuff. You'll get every episode of this podcast a week ahead of time and ad-free. And the same goes for our sister show, What a Cartoon. We also have bonus miniseries that are exclusive to the Patreon, including the upcoming Talk King of the Hill, where we're going to go through the entire first season of King of the Hill. That's 12 episodes of King of the Hill, given the Talking Simpsons treatment, only available on the Patreon in the near future. And that will sit alongside our previous series, Talking Futurama and Talking Critics. So right there, that is two existing series and an upcoming series you'll get for $5 a month, including interviews, uh, end of season wrap-ups, and so much more. Henry, what else is going on on the Patreon? Well, we just launched for our $10 and up patrons a special monthly movie podcast where me and Bob go through a different animated film once a month chosen by our patrons. We did Batman Mask of the Phantasm, Kiki's Delivery Service, and Akira, and this month we're getting goofy. <laughs> it's a goofy movie. Finally, so- <laughs> some lighter fare. <laughs> Time to see eye to eye with us and uh, have a movie fun. about gang violence and dancing <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the Sasquatch and all the all these things and cheese whiz. Mm-hmm. I I'm really looking forward to. It. We have not recorded it yet. And also, yes, uh, there's a really cool new interview coming to. I'll just tease it here, but there's a really cool new interview coming to the Patreon soon for five dollar and up folks that you're gonna want to check out. Keep your eyes open for it. And more really cool stuff coming when because this episode goes live, I believe, while me and Bob are in Los Angeles. Selling out like the phonies we are. <laughs> you know, we had some cool guests the last time we were in L.A., so who knows? Mm, we might be recording four podcasts in L.A.? Ooh, yes, I think so. I A think. lot of work. It's going to be worth it, though. Ooh, oh, yes. yes. And again, that is patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. Please sign up. we got so much stuff waiting there for you that'll be exclusive to the Talking Simpsons Network. As for me, I've been one of your hosts, Bob Mackey. Find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts. It's a classic gaming podcast. Every Monday, go to retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast device. We've been doing it since 2006, and we have nearly 500 episodes for you to listen to, and I think you'll like at least a few of them, probably, <laughs> so check it out. And I'm on Twitter as Bob Servo. I don't know if I said that before. I probably did. It's okay. I say mine twice, at least. And that's <laughs> H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. That's where you can follow Henry Gilbert for all the news about Simpsons going live or any updates to the Patreon or to our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, those weekly episodes. You'll learn all about that if you follow me on Twitter and if you loved my political ranting on here, you get more than you bargained for. <laughs> if you start following me at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Thank you so much for listening, folks. We'll see you next week with Bart Starr. We'll see you then. Do some rioting. Jobbers. Cobb Milch, you mucker! Hold on.